Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. Let's talk about the night perspective. Hey guys, I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daly Knives, and this is episode number 012 of The Knife Perspective. It is the Todd Hunt thing. Today's tagline is, never a dull moment. That's right. With The Knife Perspective, there is never a dull moment. How are you doing tonight, Kyle? Oh, pretty good, Dan. It's uh, it's going to be pretty cool with uh, our uh, guest He's always a, a fun one to talk to. I'm pretty excited. Yeah. It, you know, once we hit him about beer three, it's going to get entertaining. <laughs> For sure. Uh, so it, uh, who are our sponsors wanna, tonight? Yeah, we've got our the sponsor of the podcast, Jess Hoffman of J. Hoffman Knives and J. Hoffman Hardwoods. Find awesome knives at his Instagram page, J. Hoffman Knives, and his uh, handle material at Hoffman Hardwoods. Um, both of which are outstanding. I actually won uh, one of Jeff's, Jess's awesome knives at Blade Show this year, so that's pretty cool. And uh, you can see a picture of that on our Instagram page, uh, Knife Perspective. And uh, I used his handle material for pretty much ever since I started making knives when I bought uh, some of my first wood up in uh, at the uh, Badger Knife Show up in Wisconsin. You got your first wood at the Badger Knife Show? Well, I, actually, uh, I'm not exactly sure um, where I got my first piece of wood, but but pretty close. <laughs> so, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, it's been two weeks since our last podcast. Um, any mm. pictures of that uh, stabilized uh, curly cherry knife handle yet? Yeah, it's... Uh, Getting going to be delivered here soon for the my buddy's uh, dad's birthday, so I told him he's going to have a super hard time with uh, trying to give that to his dad. He's he's seen a couple pictures of it. It's pretty cool. Um, dealers, um, Old Town Cutlery carries both Dogwood Custom Knives, KH Daily Knives, and Todd or TM Hunt Knives. Old Town Cutlery for all of the finest cutlery needs. Uh, we also have Knife Center, uh, which is carrying Dogwood Custom Knives. And as of the recording of this podcast, for a little while longer, they're going to be the sole outlet for the uh, Dogwood Cap Hearts. Uh, they also carry the very finest of TM Hunt's custom knives. Uh, Todd probably has a much longer list of dealers than we do, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he yeah, went he, the, the route of only selling through dealers, so looking forward to talking to him about that yeah how he went uh went about doing that you know having spoken to todd i can see where that would be an advantage for him i i can see how it'd be an advantage for everyone <laughs> <laughs> not me i'm I'm, With, I'm an of the people kind of maker i, I want to i want to talk to my guys i, I can I, I can pull I, up and drop in a sound bite of you saying that you wanted to go all dealers from the last episode hey you know 
So that was then, <laughs> and now, as we as we begin the political season, we have to understand that truth is relevant to the moment that you're in. What was true then is still true, but it's not as true as the truth that I'm speaking now. All righty. Uh, <laughs> what, 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 I imagine you've been working on a bunch of Kepharts uh, this past few weeks. I have. Um, fortunately, I still enjoy making that knife, but... Uh, it's it's getting close. I am going to have to take a Kephart break pretty soon. I've done like six or eight weeks of nothing but Kephart production, and wow, I, I'm going to have to do a couple of kisser knives just so I can remember how to grind them. Yeah, but my convex grinds are spot on right now. Awesome. I just started another batch of ten for uh, a bunch of a knives for his groomsmen and the parents of their wedding. So. Uh, got to get those done by about the middle of October. Going to be a, a rush there and going to start on my third bread knife. So, oh, man, I hate making those things. Do you, uh, do you do you put the scallops in or are you doing a, a traditional edge? Yeah, I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing, doing the scallops. Man, you can... it'll actually be for uh, for a guy that I think all three of us know. Uh, um, I believe it's Curtis Wright. He's oh, yeah. the, the, wood, the woodsman pilot. He's going to be, be getting that one. He is a very cool dude. Yeah, I met him yeah, and met his him. wife at uh, Blade Show this past year. It was great to talk to them for a while. Um, they uh, they used to come up for the Beckerhead gatherings in Tennessee and are really outstanding people. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. a he's a fascinating guy. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get to talk to him nearly as much as I wanted. They they were making their rounds, so but it's a lot of fun to talk with him. He ended up uh, falling in love with a uh, uh, blue and black rag micarta handled uh, kitchen knife. He was the chef's knife, and uh, he he goes, if that one's still here tomorrow morning, I'm gonna have to buy it. <laughs> then he then he came around in the morning. I was like, it's still here, man. And so he uh, he goes, all right, here you go. <laughs> uh, one of the I had one of the original ten cap hearts, uh, the the reproduction ones I did, not the modern version at Blade Show two years ago, and I was auctioning it off, and he and somebody else got into a bidding war and he was on the phone because he had had to fly out early and they were back and forth. And the guy that was at the booth just said, whatever he bids, I'm going to bid $10 more. (laughs) And I, I had like this moral conflict of just running it up. But finally I had to, uh, I had to call Curtis and just go, Hey, look, man, he's, here's the deal. And he's like, all right. And then I called the last person on the list that had ordered one and they had gotten into a, a little bit of hard times and couldn't, um, couldn't pay for it. So I got to call Curtis and go, Hey, not only did I save you money last week, but now you can get one at the regular price. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, so today's guest is Todd Hunt, the Todd Hunt, Mr. Todd Hunt of TM Hunt Custom Knives. I actually met him at a Beckerhead gathering and you, well, you've met him in person. Yep. Can be, he can be a little intimidating, especially new kids. You're kind of new to the group. You're in a group of pretty knowledgeable, hardcore enthusiasts. And I walk up to this guy. I'm going to admit a little intimidating kind of reminds me of a, a Sasquatch with a toothache. And my voice didn't actually squeak when I, when I met Mr. Hunt, but very quickly, he went from an incredibly intimidating guy to, hey, let's have a beer. What are you up to? And took 
a very flattering amount of interest in a, a young and upcoming maker. Um, so I'm really, I'm really glad that I'm got a chance to, to talk to him tonight. Yep. I actually met him, uh, through, uh, Eric Mann. He followed uh, a lot of the stuff, uh, him and Murph were doing on blade forums Eric and uh, to go into the Kentucky knife makers guild. And he goes, I think this guy is like pretty close to, to your house. And, uh, I actually, I grew up less than 25 miles away from where Todd is. Oh, and, wow. uh, <laughs> yeah. So y'all might so, be related. <laughs> maybe, but, uh, yeah, we, we stopped there on the way back and, uh, Todd was a little less intimidating. He immediately handed both of us a beer when we first walked through the fence and, uh, he goes, I got burgers going on in 10 minutes. So, uh, you guys better be hungry. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. That's way better than I got. I got the squinty eye kind of head cop. Why are you here? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't actually making knives at the time. So he was maybe a little more uh, welcoming there. <laughs> One of my favorite uh, Todd stories is he and I did a compilation, I guess two years ago, doing some Firefly on his M18 and Magwas. And we had drawn numbers to see who was going to get number one. And and I had won. And I mean, I, I'm not a big collector, so one or two wasn't a huge deal, but it got under his skin a little bit. And I took a, an inappropriate amount of pleasure in that. <laughs> And my oldest had heard me tell this story about how it was kind of funny that I annoyed Todd. And he met him at Blade Show at his table. And he came back to the booth and looked at me and said, Dad, I don't know if I'd make Mr. Hunt upset. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's definitely uh, good to keep him on your good side. So, Todd, welcome to the podcast. Now that we've spoken to you like you're not even here. Hey, I was just wondering when I was going to be able to chime in. <laughs> this would be Thanks for being on the podcast. <laughs> hey, thank you guys both, and hello to uh, all the listeners. And uh, Dan, actually, I have a, I have a little bit different recollection on how we met. For which one, Dan, Dan or me? Dan, yeah, yep. Uh, I think the first time I met you, you shoved uh, some blackberry moonshine in my face in the pit at uh, my very oh, that's right. Yeah, my very first blade show. I didn't know anybody, and actually, it's it's kind of interesting that we're all here so many years later. But uh, Mr. Man, that Kyle was, I, I didn't know him in person. You know, everybody's got their screen names and whatnot, and. Murphy and I were there. I was scared to death. You know how the first Blade show is. And this guy come up to me and says, man, I know who you are. You're Murph. You're Todd. Uh, and he talked. Like, and, oh, shit. We got warrants. Yeah. Yeah. And he took off. And I was like, Murph, did you get that guy's name? And I'm like, you know, <laughs> no, he, no, he didn't. I didn't. I thought, well, that kind of stunk. So we went down to the uh, pit the very first night and nobody knew who we were. We were sitting at a little table in the corner and. I mean, it was kind of like uh, the leper colony of uh, Blade Show. You know? <laughs> the frightened newbie's corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, Eric came and Solace and says, hey, man, you want to meet some of my friends? And I was like, man, we ain't got nothing to lose. We ain't got no friends over here, you know. And I, I didn't know what we was going to meet, you know. I figured some video game playing booger eating dude from, you know, I didn't know. <laughs> 
and he he walks us right in the middle of Andy Roy and Dylan Fletcher and Mr. Dan Eastland. The very you know we all shook hands and uh, Andy gave my wife a Corona, which is one of her favorite brews, and you handed me a mason jar of I believe it was blackberry moonshine, and the rest is kind of history. <laughs> I, man, I had completely forgotten about that. I would have approached you entirely differently. <laughs> you know, no, you wouldn't. Have. <laughs> no, I meant at the Beckerhead gathering. Oh, yeah. Well, Beckerhead gathering is it's altogether different experience. Yeah, I think you may have been under the influence of some Blackberry moonshine already when that was happening. Yeah, something. Oh, I get. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> something tells me that jar wasn't full when I handed it to you. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad that was a happy story. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, now that I've got that corrected, hello, everybody, and thanks again, guys, for having me on. Absolutely. Cool. We'd yep. love to have you. So uh, in our yep. shout-outs and reviews section, uh, there's uh, our one of our dealers, Old Town Cutlery. They're having a Knife-toberfest, and uh, that's going to be October 12th uh, this year. And uh, if you guys can make it, that's uh, going to be a pretty good uh, outlet. Looks like there's going to be uh, four club events all happening at the same same time that they're hosting. They're going to have food and everything. Um, it's like laser engraving, axe throwing, uh, grinding, uh, grinding and forging demonstrations, forging. and a bunch of giveaways. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a great time. Unfortunately, I have to miss it this year. <sighs> Man. Uh, I'm just as upset as you are, Dan. Yeah, no, that kind of bums me out. Having having dinner with you after the show was kind of like one of the things I was looking forward to. That's been our thing. Yeah, yeah, the whole one time we was there. Yeah, hey, it only <laughs> wants to be a thing. <laughs> but no, I, I I hate that I have to miss it, but it kind of changed up the date from last year, and I've got a uh, family camping trip on that weekend, and I just I can't break it. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to bow out this year. There's a very short list of acceptable excuses, and that's one of them. Well, I appreciate that. Getting out in the woods is always a, a good thing, no matter when you can do it. Well, it's not so much the woods there, but it's just the company and the people that are there, the knowledge. Uh, Lee and Melissa Tigner, as we all know, and anybody that's listened to your show, I mean, they're just fantastic people. A very impressive store. Uh, Kyle, you've never been there. They have this very impressive store right next door they have a uh cigar shop that has like a gentleman's lounge and a pool table and then on the other side of them is a place that sells tools and on the other side of them is a women's yoga studio and on the other side of that they hadn't opened it yet but they were putting in a liquor store so i'm like thinking it's heaven i need uh, yeah, I need nothing else in my life. <laughs> you know, I, I sat at my table last year and looked around and said, oh, God, I've died. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was checking for pulses all weekend. So you, you were getting your yoga on? Is that what yeah. I'm, what oh, I'm man, hearing? I wasn't getting my yoga on. A little, a little hot <laughs> yoga. It, it clears the head. It is a great way to start the day. Sure, I, was, I felt a little awkward in my stretchy pants, but the women were very inviting. And Yeah, you're not fooling <laughs> anybody, man. <laughs> Hey, look, I stay at the oh, back man. of the class because I'm a beginner, and I I don't want to I don't want to distract anyone else. I mean, I do it at that. The they got the walkers back there. <laughs> throw out a hip or something. Well, there's that. Nice. But uh, that event's <laughs> going to be great because um, there's going to be four different clubs. There's going to be the Forged and Fire, 
a lot of the makers are going to bring additional knives down. So it's not only the store inventory, but makers are going to bring some stuff that they made specially for the gathering. Great chance to meet guys and talk to them. Um, really get a one-on-one, get a sense of, of who's making your knife for you. you know, any questions you've got, it's a chance to get answered. Um, it, all of the advantages of Blade Show, and you don't have to pay six bucks for parking. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's a lot more intimate level. I, I hate to use that term, but uh, there's not all the chaos that Blade has. You know, it's more relaxed. This is true. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, if anybody's in the area, or even if you're not, I would suggest that you go if you could. And I, I hope Dan that you give everybody my best, and you know we'll we'll get down there next year. I will. I, I will give them tongue just like you would have. I appreciate that. <laughs> Start with that big ugly dude that works behind the counter. <laughs> oh, John, my sweet, sweet John. <laughs> yeah, start with him. You know, um, he. Uh, he actually worked in Andy's shop for a little while as well. Yeah. So uh, he's a super cool guy. Yeah. I had talked to Lee and he was interested in carrying the line and said, call the store. And I called the store and John answered. I'm like, um, what are you doing? And John's like, uh, what are you doing? I'm working. It's a, a weird little surreal moment. The interesting thing. I don't know if you remember this, Todd, but you actually introduced me to Lee the first time at uh, Blade Show two years ago. Yeah, okay. Uh, when I had my first table there, you go, uh, have you talked to Lee yet? You were... Uh, you put your hand on my shoulder and, like, walked me straight over there. <laughs> Just like being walking the principal's office. Yeah. You, I'm a young man. You were right in assuming that I didn't remember that. <laughs> yeah. You said, uh, Lee, you need to talk to this man. I'm like, I was like, hi. <laughs> yeah. The nice thing about Todd's stories is, about 30% of the time, you can just make stuff up because he doesn't remember one way or the other. Yeah, no, I just go with what sounds good. Edit that part out. <laughs> Our other shout-out is to my friend, uh, Shamil Vesquez. He is a chef that helped me design the Big Poppy. And he is opening his first restaurant. Actually, has opened it. They... Uh, their opening was last week. It's the Delaney Oyster House in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh. So, so if you are in that area or going to be in that area, definitely go check them out. He was uh, most recently with the Husk Group. And if you're into into good food and you're in the southeast, you know Husk. Um, and after doing a couple of years at Husk Greenville, um, they approached him about opening his own place. So he's back on the coast where he's, I mean, that's his place. He's, he grew up in Puerto Rico. He's all about coastal and fresh and he is back in Charleston and I cannot wait. It broke my heart not to be there for his opening, but I will be there in the next week or two and cannot wait to go check it out. Sounds fantastic. That's a pretty good little drive from where you're at in Greenville. You would be amazed at what I'll do for a good meal. <laughs> I I love how uh, Google has like a line that goes pretty much straight there, and then it also has given me a uh, hey, you can go all the way up through Charlotte, around through Chapel Hill and Raleigh and Florence, and then back around, and it'll take an extra uh, is that seventeen hours? <laughs> Raleigh, um, the chef and the farmer in uh, Raleigh is really good, so it's worth making that little spur to stop there. 
and then you can come down. <laughs> Sounds like Dan saying, I can make my house on the way. Just you might have to drive a little bit more. Yeah. That's funny. All righty. Want to get to, uh, you had some knives in the news you wanted to talk about? I did. Um, keeping with the, the culinary theme, both of us, both of us make kitchen knives. Um, so Anthony Bourdain's estate is auctioning off, um, some of his, some of his possessions, uh, the writing desk that he used to write a couple of his books, but most specifically some of his chef's knives, including a Bob Kramer that he had custom made for himself. And the proceeds of that will go to start a scholarship for his alma mater. Um, uh, I believe it's the auction opens October 2nd. All the proceeds will go to his alma mater, the Culinary Institute of America. So that is, you know, it's, it's a theme that we love. It's good people doing good things. Unfortunately, in this case, the, the good things are coming from a tragedy. But what an amazing opportunity to, to own a knife like that. Now that I've all brought us down, have a moment of silence and yep. drink a toast and we'll get back to it. So, Todd, why don't you start making kitchen knives? Because um, there's there's two people that, that do it just so much more fantastically than I could ever try. So, God, you, know, you know, I'm not going to attempt it. it. It's like I didn't even send you a copy of the questions ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you didn't open that email, did you? <laughs> seriously, I, I love to cook and I, I love to do all of that. But uh, there's just some things that people are better suited to do. A lot of people ask me to make fillet knives, and I can make a fillet knife. But for what you're going to pay for it, there's better people out there that specialize in that kind of knife than me. Yeah. So I, I feel the same way about the cooking knives. And, um, you know, as yeah. far as I'm concerned, you guys nail it pretty well. Yeah. The same reason I don't make choppers. Yeah. Thanks. And you're smarter for it. <laughs> <laughs> That is a big, nasty hunk of steel to start with. Those big buoys you make are pretty impressive. Oh, guys, we got a problem. Oh. Um, I'm out of sweet baby Jesus. Oh. Well, you're in luck because I've got a whole load of beer right here, so I've got you covered. Yeah, if you'll email me, email me a beer real quick, we'll be good. Well, the commute might be a little bit much for you, but... Uh, I've got plenty of cold ones right here. Might get a little warm on the on the transfer over there. Uh, mine won't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, good news. Um, tonight we will be having dragon's milk. Oh, wow. nice man. Uh, that, that is a bourbon aged stout. We don't get the sweet baby Jesus down here, but we do get the dragon's milk, and I'm quite fond of that because uh, stouts and brown ales are my favorites, and that's a milk stout, right? It is bourbon barrel aged, so it's it's a little sweet as well. It's like me; it's both sweet and bitter. Uh, like with the that. Sour Patch Kids candy, yeah, that that'll that'll make a commercial. So, what are you drinking tonight? I usually can't do the stouts very well because I don't like the coffee flavor in them. You don't drink coffee, Kyle? No, unfortunately. I don't know if we can be friends. I like the smell of it, just don't like the taste of it. Uh, the co coffee? Man, Todd, he's young. He doesn't need coffee anymore. Oh, I I drink my fair share of caffeine. It's just all in the form of uh, Diet Mountain Dew and Diet Pepsi and. Some of those other pops. Uh, that shit will kill you, ah, man. Game of <laughs> generation. 
Some something's got to, right? <laughs> if liquor and women yeah. ain't gonna do it, well, that that kind of uh, transfers into one of our questions. Oh, I don't know if you know this, Todd, but you may have may have heard it from one of the previous ones. Uh, Dan met his wife at a wake. Yeah, uh, for her grandmother. Yeah, and uh, how did you meet your wife? Where does it fall on the uh, the Dan? Who found found his wife at a wake and met my wife online. The, the oh, Dan Kyle scale. Kyle, who <laughs> met his wife in a perfectly normal way, and me, who is a bit of a freak show. No, my my story is just as equally pathetic as uh, Dan's. I didn't pick her up at a funeral. As a matter of fact, I didn't pick her up at all because uh, she's got an older sister, and I was in the prime of my wilder years when I moved out of my parents' house and. Rented. Oh God, I love where the story is going. Oh yeah, we, uh, me and three friends uh, rented this whole of a house, and man, there was parties every day. I don't know how I made it to work, but uh, so anyway, one of the guys that I lived with actually knew Gina. I believe she went to school with him or something. And Gina's got an older sister. Well, long story short, down here at where I'm from, they used to have uh, big like cruise ins downtown everybody take the cars down whatnot and my wife had this uh pretty cool trans am back in the day and i was running around with my roommate who actually knew gina well he saw her sister and he's like hey let's pull these girls over i know the one yada 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 well anyway uh my turned out to be my brother-in-law he, uh, not anymore unfortunately they've divorced but uh they hit it off so they kept coming over to the house well they liked each other i actually had no interest in my wife and she had no interest in me <laughs> but i would have got I, I have no interest in my wife's sister but you know you play it your own way no 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 uh uh the thing of it was her sister didn't want to come over there oh, wait so you are into your wife's sister what's that <laughs> <laughs> Who's telling stories? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, I, I'm, I'm a lot braver when you can't reach me. Yeah, yeah. Well, there'll be a day. You, you can, you can, you can tell the peanut gallery to be quiet. There you go. Uh, so anyway, she kept on wanting to come over to the house, but she didn't want to come by herself. So she kept on uh, convincing Gina to come with her, and her excuse was, "Well, Todd likes you. Todd likes you." And she's like, "Well, Todd." Mm. <laughs> And Scott was like, well, Gina's coming over and she likes you. And I'm like, well, I don't really particularly care for her. And we actually, I, I swear to God, this is a true story. When you see her, you can ask her. We didn't like each other at all, but we just kept on getting stuck with each other. And each one of them was telling lies. So we would hang out. You know, she didn't like me and I didn't like her, but that's not the stories that everybody else was telling. And it just got to a point to where. So it was like tequila. Uh, I don't know. You don't really like it, but you just keep trying it. And then the next thing you know, you really love it. Well, there wasn't any trying it at this point, Dan. (laughs) 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 Man, she's going to be pissed when she hears it. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) don't worry, man. We got like three listeners. You'll never hear about it. Uh, So uh, Anyway, it got to the point to where a uh, buddy of mine's like, hey, what's the deal with you and Gina? Is like, well, nothing's the deal with me and Gina. He's like, well, if you, you know, if you are that blind to see she, uh, you know, she likes you, he goes, I care if I ask her out. And it was like the very first time somebody asked me my opinion on somebody that I didn't think I had any interest in. And it was just like, 
well, I don't know if I like that idea or not. So <laughs> I don't want it, yeah. but I don't want you to have yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, she actually got uh, stuck up on a date, and she she will deny this part. She got stuck up on a date one time, and I was like, "Well, I'll tell you what." I said, "I'll I'll take you out next weekend," and went out next weekend, and we've been together ever since. But my more pathetic part was how I actually asked her to marry me. Alrighty. Uh, liquor store parking lot, man. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Again, like tequila. Yeah, like tequila. Uh, one of my best friends, and unfortunately he's passed now, but he, uh, uh, his family has owned the local, one of the local liquor stores here in town. And she was coming over to my house, and I'd bought a ring. And on the time she was driving to my house, I called her dad and asked his permission because that's, I guess, the traditional thing to do. But if you know her dad, he's he's old school and he's a tough old character. And he's like, well, hell, son, I don't care. I like you. Hell, I'll go for it. You know, <laughs> coughing on a Marlboro. So I didn't we was getting ready to go to a party and I didn't know how I was going to do this. I had uh, the permission, but just didn't know how I was going to do it. So <laughs> the only thing I could think of, we went by the liquor store first and I used to always get her a slip. <laughs> Yeah, this is romance at its best, son. I'm here to tell you. I always used to get her a Slim Jim. Damn, you're classy. Yeah. This oh, is, yeah. This hey. is getting awesome, Todd. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, it, you're, you're easing towards Dan. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to pass you here real quick. Oh, thank God. Please, please take this burden away. So I went in there, and uh, my buddy Joe was like, and I told him, I said, Joe, I'm going to ask Gene to marry me. He's like, oh, yeah, when? I said, right freaking now man he's like holy crap he's I was, and i showed him the ring he's like well hold on let me get you something and he got me one of these little uh crown royal bags you know the little purple velvet oh, yeah. with gold lettering <laughs> he says stick it in that <laughs> throw it in the bottom of the sack i said okay <laughs> so anyway she was waiting out in the car right or my truck and uh i took it out there and i walked up to the passenger side where she was at and I passed in this sack that I don't know had a six pack or whatever in a couple slim gyms and I said hey there's something down there in the bottom for you and my buddy Joe like a big sap that he was like I said unfortunately he's passed now but uh he comes out and stands there with his arms crossed like you know there's something to yeah. see so that kind of gave it away a little bit she took it out and she saw the crown royal she's immediately like, I, don't, I don't like whiskey <laughs> <laughs> I was like, just just keep digging. Way to screw it up. Thanks, babe. Yeah, wait yeah, I'm trying to be romantic here, damn it. <laughs> Why don't you just you eat, know, eat a slim gym slim first? Slim gyms, not yeah, yeah, not even the not even the regular ones. Those are like the nacho ones, man. I mean I really went all out. Sasquatch yeah. slim gym. I see it now. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, go figure. And she opened it, and when she opened it. She realized what it was. I got down on one knee and ruined my pants because of the damn oil dry in the parking lot. She didn't even have the decency to answer me. I turned around. And I heard somebody crying. My buddy Joe's over there. He's like, nobody's ever asked anybody married. I was like, Joe, you pussy. You totally ruined this for me. And I was, so we left and we got all the way down the road and I was like, you know what? You never did really give me an answer. Well, Joe was being a pussy. I, I, so just out of curiosity, is it yes or are you walking? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, because like I'm, you're in my car, right? And if it's snow, you better start walking. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so th- that's my ah, romantic that's awesome. story. So all of you ladies oh. out there, don't call me. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a devoted uh, man. <laughs> welcome to the house of Dan. I'm so glad to have you. Yes, that that's hilarious. When I uh, when I talked to Beth's dad about asking to marry her i made a point of asking for his blessing and not his permission because if he said no i was doing it anyway yeah i mean i was hoping he'd be okay with it and make everything easier but yeah yeah i mean this is gonna happen so i, I asked him for his blessing to marry his his daughter and we're at the breakfast table and uh what was you doing there at breakfast? he takes a bite of out of wedlock you no hey, hey <laughs> i was visiting her parents we were sleeping in separate rooms you know what? You're ruining the story. So we're at breakfast, and he takes a bite of toast, and he chews, and he's looking kind of you know, thoughtful. And then he looks at me and goes, you know it's up to her, right? And I looked at him and I said, yes, sir. He goes, okay, and then picks up his paper and starts reading. And I'm like, so you're good with this? Um... That's, that's almost the reaction I got with uh, my father-in-law. When my my wife and I we live 250 miles away, so when I come up, I'd spend the night at her parents' place, and yeah, so I got up early. Her dad always got up at like 5:30 in the morning and ground coffee that woke up almost the whole house. Yeah, so uh, we we talked for like 45 minutes, and I'm like sweating bullets trying to get up the courage to actually ask this thing. And I said, uh, I'm really thinking about asking Courtney to marry me. And uh, he goes, sure. And then just starts talking about other stuff again. <laughs> so, you going to eat your bacon? Just out of temptation. So hmm. you went, she was at her parents' house while y'all were dating. And you would drive and stay at her parents' house while y'all were dating. Yep, yep. Wow. I thought I had some awkward moments with my in-laws. Yeah, we all stayed there. <laughs> we're, we're good. Yeah, well, I was also living. I was also living with my parents back home in Columbus. So when she'd come down here, we had the, the similar awkward thing just with my family. I, I'm sorry, I've just got to ask. Where did you sleep? Uh, we we had uh, separate beds for a while, and then uh, once we kind of got engaged, we slept together. Was it like a tip? Was it like a tiptoe across the hall thing, or was it? Two separate beds in one room, and we're going to trust you. Uh, it was two separate, or I slept in the the living room on the couch for the first uh, quite a few times. But at my my house, we had a guest room, and my bedroom was uh, right next to the guest room, oh. so we throw all her stuff in there, and then. So that was the tiptoe nights there. Yeah, yeah, but there there was a separate door that blocked the 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 bedrooms and bathroom back to me, so didn't really have to oh. tiptoe. Oh man, that's. That is sweet, sweet nectar. I had to do the, I, I had to do the tiptoe across the, you know. Never mind. It's it's not important. <laughs> <laughs> so, Todd, where did you grow up? Right here, Seymour, Indiana. Uh, I've lived here all my life, with the exception of when I was in college. And when you were up in Indianapolis, right? Yeah, that'd be college, Kyle. Okay. All right. I didn't know if those were the same things. Hey, but thanks for correcting yeah. the guest. We appreciate that. Hey, feel comfortable there, there are and a few things that I still remember, Kyle. All right. All right. Just real quick, which one of us was there? Uh, all right, next question. Really? That, that's your whole answer? 
Uh, born and raised Seymour, Indiana. Uh, forty-five years old, Seymour, Indiana. Uh, when I didn't, <laughs> I was in school. Uh, you know, really no better answer than that. I don't know what you want for me, Dan. Uh, I uh, okay. I uh, lived in Haiti for a little while, doing undercover work for the CIA, and uh, you know, I, I you know saved. Seriously, kids. you too? Yeah. Were you at that hotel? Yeah. Well, no, I had to leave because I was saving children from a burning schoolhouse and, uh, you know, I don't know. Oh, shit. I felt so guilty about starting that fire, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can make that any more interesting than I did, but yeah, born and raised Seymour, Indiana and still here. Uh, what was your first knife? Oh. That you owned? Not that you made, but you owned. What was the the knife that was handed into the the young pudgy little Todd Hunt hand? Yeah. What was that first knife for you? I can answer that. It's a uh, my grandpa on my dad's side. Uh, he uh, had a big farm, and they ended up uh, the state came and bought all the land and uh, made it into a national wildlife refuge. And they moved to a neighborhood that was out of city limits around a pond. And me and my sister, I have a sister that's three years older than me. When we was kids, we spent a lot of time out there. You know, they were from a different era. They were quite a bit older. My grandpa was like 56 when he had my dad. Oh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they had a completely different, um, you know, they had like 800 acres at one time. And when my dad was a little kid, he put a 22 rifle on his little, uh, you know, Schwinn bicycle and he was gone all day. Nobody, you know, back then you could do that. Nobody cared. And that always was the same when I was there. And I remember my grandpa still had a bunch of old tools from the farm out in the garage. And then he also had a hutch in the kitchen that, you know, he had his side and grandma had her side. And I always dug through those because there's like every time, I don't care how many times I dug through them, you'd always find a new treasure. And he had a uh, imperial trapper. It was a, you know, your regular like trapper folder, yep. multi-blade. And imperial, I think that it was owned by charade one, at one time or something. I'm not sure, but uh and it was cheap. The sides of it were pop metal. Yeah. And then it had like a uh, a yellow covering on it where mostly it'd be like a like a bone or whatever. And this was just like a sheet of plastic and it came off. But my grandpa had that. And at the time when I'd go out there, I, I man, I'm serious. I was only like seven, eight years old. And my mom and dad didn't let me carry a knife back then. But when I got out to grandpa, grandma and grandpa's, the first thing I did was always put that knife in my pocket and off I went climbing trees or going down to the pond and, and fishing or whatever. But w when I was always at my grandma and grandpa's, I had that knife on me. And then before I went home, I'd always put it back in, uh, in the hutch. And one time my grandpa saw that it was missing. And he says, Todd, do you know where that little yellow knife or that to him, it was big, but it, to me, it was a small knife. And I couldn't, he said, do you know where that yellow knife said? I said, yeah, Papa, it's in my pocket. He says, well, why is it in your pocket? And I said, well, cause I like it. 
And he said, well, then you can have it. He said, you just take that home with you. I've owned that knife my whole entire life. And I just, within the last two years, my uh, cousin has a, uh, there was two girls in two, as far as the grandkids, there was two girls, my sister and I have a cousin. And she's got a son now that's 10, I believe. And this kid, just a great kid. He never got to meet my grandpa Hunt. He's big into knives, and every time we get around, he always has to show me his collection. Now, he doesn't have a knife in his collection that's worth more than three bucks. You know, I'm talking gas station stuff. Uh, yeah, you know. It's the typical kid yeah, collection. Yeah, but something that a 10-year-old is really proud of. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, every time I'm around, he's always, you know, hey – we got to stop what we're doing. We stop Thanksgiving dinner. We we stop this because I've got to go get my box of knives to show Todd. Look, this one's got a black handle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So anyway, when I was up there Thanksgiving before last, I took that up there and I gave it to him. So he's it's it's still around, but I no longer own it anymore. But that was the very first knife that was actually given to me and I owned. And then... Uh, my dad finally kind of picked up on it after that and uh, kind of got me into going to gun and knife shows and whatnot. It all kind of started there. But that was the first knife I ever had was that little uh, uh, yellow imperial trapper style. And If I had feelings, that would have kicked me right in the feelings. I'm not going to lie. Oh, well, I can kick you somewhere else. If it... <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have those anymore either. I'm married, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I still, I, can go I still at, have mine, but there's like a half inch of dust on it. I mean, I can go look at my wife's bedside table, see if I can find them. Probably hanging from a rearview mirror in her car. <laughs> They're trophies. Uh, speaking of screwed, Beth actually listens to this sometimes. Oh well, hey, yeah. I'm probably gonna owe her an apology at some point. Okay, <laughs> you want to just get that out of the way now? Sorry, Beth. I'm sorry, but I mean, look at the two clowns I'm talking to. But outside of that, I have nothing but the utmost respect for you. And I think you're a very lovely lady. And I think that even though you have bad taste in men, you got everything else going for you. Other than her taste in men, she's absolutely perfect. Yeah, I think she kind of screwed the pooch on that one. But, you know, that's to be decided. She did something horrible in a past life and I'm her punishment. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'll give you that. But <laughs> I'll give you that. <laughs> you came out good, smelling like a rose. Bird got to fly, <laughs> fish got to swim. <laughs> yeah. How do you go about balancing your uh, work and life and family between all the the different things that you have to do for the different dealers that are putting in orders? I don't. I literally work fifteen feet outside the back door of my house, so um, I try to get as much done as through the day that I can. And then when uh, my wife gets off at a time that's perfect for her to pick up the kids at school. So usually about four o'clock every day, I know that chaos is going to ensue. You know, they come home and of course, Gina wants to, she works for the school and works with special needs, needs kids. So, I mean, and don't take this wrong. I don't mean this in the bad way, but she's kind of hungry for intelligent conversation. Mm -hmm. 
so you know and the kids come out they say hi and then you know maybe we'll have to do this or do that or take trash out or cook supper or whatnot so usually i try to hang it up when they all get home because it's it's kind of hard to get things accomplished anyway you know when they're here and i don't have a problem with that because i kind of like to hang it up anyway yep but uh yeah i work i take my kids to school and then when i come back i hit it as hard as i can until i can't and then that's that's about it now some days are a little bit longer than yesterday i actually put in a 16 hour day yesterday i want to do everything in my power to make sure that i don't do very much of that yeah i tried that one time it's Mm. not fun no yeah when i was getting ready for blade show this past year um we're not allowed to say the, we're not allowed to say the b word. <laughs> that's that's my war, rule around here. We are not allowed would, to say the b word until we are actually in transit to get there. Some <laughs> signed up for B Show West. I saw that. Yeah, and I am now enjoying the great panic that is Blade Show, except six months early. Yeah, yeah. Well, good for you. Better you than yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it seemed like a good idea at the time. How many tables are out there? It's not. It's not really huge yet, is it? No, comparatively, it's very small. Mm-hmm. But I want to go check it out. Short version is I am. Uh, I've got the opportunity to judge the uh, kitchen knife competition out there this year. Oh, so I'm going to fly out and uh, spend a couple of days with Ethan, and then uh, we're going to go do the blade show. So, oh, outstanding! Part of it is just a—it's a chance to to see Crazy Uncle Lee, yeah. And uh, part of it is to go check it out, um, to kind of get in. I mean, if I could have gotten in at Blade Show when it was fifty tables, so I'm I'm gonna go check it out, see uh, see what it's like. Um, I've got a couple of West Coast friends that that are never quite able to make it over to Blade Show, like. Uh, Wingman one one five on YouTube, John and my buddy uh, Andy Tran. So it's an excuse to go out there and you know, if I can cover my expenses. Yeah, he'll be our reporter in the field, giving us the down and the low out there. We that's right. Absolutely, I'll be excited to hear about that. Um, they've actually they've been really good to work with. Um, all right, that's all I got to say about that. Well, back back before I got got interrupted by Dan's long blade show uh, yeah, story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was working gluing up some handles for for the B B show. My phone started going off, and it was my my alarm to get up in the morning for five a.m. So that was that was a long day. I don't miss. So didn't think it was quite that late. <laughs> when uh, when my shop was in the basement, there were a couple of mornings where. Yeah, the the alarm would go off. Oh, it's time to start breakfast. I do not miss those days. Mm-hmm. The best thing about moving the shop away from the house was at the end of the day, that's the end of the day. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no going back because I was bad about I'd put the, especially when Beth was traveling. When the kids were little, I'd put them to bed and then go back down and work in the shop till four in the morning, get a couple hours of sleep and be back up and cook them breakfast and take them to school. And that was brutal. I I don't miss that. Now I've got just enough separation that when the day's done, it's just it's just got to be done. There's no going back. So back to some of the questions on our list. What's uh What's one of the favorite knives you've made in your your knife making career? Oh, um, 
<laughs> uh, that's a hard one. I, you know, I think one of the uh, misconceptions about TM Hunt is everybody thinks that I've only been doing this for a little while when actually I made my first knife back in 1998 and I did it as a hobby for many, many, many years. And when I didn't have the stress of making volumes of my stuff, I actually Back got... Back it was a hobby, not a business. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, I got to make what I wanted, and I've always been... I got my mom's artistic ability. Uh, my mom is uh, a very good artist, and I got my dad's ability to work with uh, your hands his hands. So I got both of those things. And, you know, when I was, when I was starting out, I got to do things that I didn't have to answer for, so to speak. And there's been some things that, uh, I made 10, 15 years ago that I've got pictures of, uh, to be honest with you, I couldn't tell you how I did it. Uh, we're getting back into the memory thing, <laughs> but, um, uh, a couple of them that just completely stand out for me is uh, there's a couple of big brass back bowies that I love. There was a small dagger that I actually did wire inlay in the bone handle uh, that I wish I'd never gotten rid of. Uh, there's a few that, uh, you know, step out to me, but I don't think that I could pick one favorite. I've seen a big uh, brass back buoy that you did with the the heart inlay on the antler. Yes, that was just stunning. Yeah, in my opinion, the best brass back that I made is actually down in Georgia. No, it's in Tennessee. I'm sorry, Tennessee, Georgia. They both start with a. They're similar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they both have a e in them somewhere, right? <laughs> but uh, I actually. And uh, we'll probably get to another one of your questions as far as inspiration. I made that in three nights. And uh, it's probably one of my best brass backs that I ever made. And I think it's on my uh, it's on my homepage of my website. And it was just one of those things where I always associate what I do with emotion. I know this is going to sound all artsy-fartsy, but... Uh, Sometimes, you know, there's times in life when you just want to get your mind off some things. And I had a good friend that uh, had passed. I just locked myself in the shop. I didn't have a drawing. I didn't have uh, a plan. I just come in here and just let it flow. Yeah. Worked with my hands, worked with my, with my brain and worked with my uh, tools. And literally three days later, that's what I had complete with a rattlesnake. Uh, hide sheath and everything and it was just one of those things that uh, you know uh, uh, we can get into this as deep as you want to but that one stands out to me and uh, a few other pieces but uh, usually the ones that are my favorite are ones that have some kind of sentimental value attached to them there's always every now and then you've got that piece that just has a little little piece of your soul a little something of you in it yeah, and as as far as I get, for me, I can't control when it happens, but just every so often, for some circumstance, there's there's a little piece of me in in a certain piece, and it stands out. 
Well, there's a piece in, I mean, these are handmade pieces by all of us. There's a piece of us in every one of them. Mm. Um, now, how I differ from you is when I very first started doing this, I couldn't let anything go. I had too much blood, sweat, and tears, and uh, emotion, dare you say. Uh, I had too much stuff in into it, and it was so fresh in my mind that it was nothing that I just wanted to turn around and let loose of. I had to, I had to own some of my stuff for a year or two before I'd get rid of it. Doing this for a living changes that. I say this, uh, unfortunately, uh, because people are going to think that I am insincere about what I do, and and that's not the case. You can't do this and be insincere about it and be even remotely successful. You can't put this much effort into something and not love it. Yeah, uh, but since it's become a business and a full-time thing, it's what pays my house payment. It's what pays the groceries. It's what puts uh, shoes on the kids' feet. Uh, I no longer, or very rarely, let me say that, I very rarely have emotional attachment to uh, anything that I do. Now, that sounds terrible. I still have passion. I still have hard work. I still have blood and I still have sweat and sometimes some tears. But as far as the projects that I do have sentimental value are the ones I like best. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I was lucky the first good knife I made, um, I was in Andy's shop and I was, I was proud of it. And this was a good knife and I was going to keep it. And Dylan Fletcher sat me down at lunch and said, look, Right now, you have to make a decision. Are you going to be a knife maker or a guy that makes knives? Because if you're a knife maker, you sell the best you make. If you're a guy that makes knives, then, you, you know, you just make knives and you keep the ones you like. But you've got to decide right now because if you keep that knife, you're just going to be a guy that makes knives. Oh, absolutely. If you're a knife maker, you got to sell that right now. You know what knife making absolutely ruined for me? What's that, Todd? Oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that. <laughs> <laughs> knife collecting. Yeah. Uh, I used to be a huge knife collector. And when I got into making knives a little bit more seriously, I would see something. And, you know, about this time I was starting a family and whatnot. Uh, you know, funds weren't always readily available. It was like, you know, they used to be. And I was always like, you know, I could make my version of that and like it even better, but then you don't ever get around to doing that. So, uh, yeah, I used to collect knives. I don't anymore. I, I can't because it's just not everything that I like that I want. I'm too cheap to buy it. But I'm thinking, I tell myself, I lie to myself every time. I'm like, man, I can make something like that, which I can, but I just don't have the time for it. So, it's ruined a perfectly good knife collecting hobby for me. Hey, I'm there with you. Um, you know, people always expect me to have this really extensive knife collection, and I've got like six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's always like, "Well, which one of your knives do you carry?" I was like, "Well, hell, I can't. I none. I can't afford them." <laughs> yeah. All but, the good uh, knives I sell, and I wouldn't carry a crappy knife. Yeah, but, yeah. No, I I do have. Uh, you know, of course, there were some things that I could never let go of, like uh, some things that my dad made when, uh, you know, I was a kid and whatnot. And I, I still have 
you know, the, the ones that I had the most love for, I still have them, but, uh, as far as going out and buying a knife, it's very rare for me to do. So yeah, my six knives are things like one that Ethan gave me, one that I got in Argentina. I, I do have the first knife I ever made and I still have mine. Yeah. I still have mine also. Yeah. Well, actually my, my wife has mine. <laughs> See, there's an honest man right there. I, I gave it to her for Christmas, so it was one of her Christmas gifts. That's a bold move. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, San, a seven-inch Santoku, so went big. It doesn't have a point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's uh, – this kind of dovetails into the next one. What's uh, one of your favorite knives that you, you didn't make? Uh, that's an even harder question. Uh I guess, Don't worry, Kyle will edit it out and put the correct answer in. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. I guess uh, my favorite eight inch knife, chef's is... knife. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out you love a, a Kyle Daly eight inch chef's knife. <laughs> uh, it, you know, uh, there's so many of them. Uh, again, uh, it sounds like I'm a big softy, but uh, well, first of all, my favorite knife is the one that I have on me. And um, as far as the knives I carry, of course, they serve a utilitarian purpose. But if it's on me, it's got some kind of sentimental value. Again, we're, we're going to get all soft and mushy. But uh, uh, first and foremost, the knife has to perform for whatever my task is. And second of all, like I told you guys before, I hardly buy knives. So the ones that I do end up spending money on, uh, it's for a specific reason, but I mean, just if I have to say, uh, specific knives, uh, I've always been a fan of uh, like traditional pieces. Like, of course, everybody's grandpa always carried a Barlow, you know, slip joint. I've always loved that pattern. Uh, who can ever go wrong with a buck one ten? I think it ought to be mandatory. Every young man or i'm sorry every child that grows into manhood i think it ought to be mandatory for them to own a buck 110 you know how country i was i had a buck 110 with a flicket on it oh yeah absolutely uh, i think that ought to be required you you ought to serve a mandatory five-year prison sentence if you don't buy your kid a buck 110 at some point in your life I got um, a uh, I got a funny story about a buck one ten. If you uh, if you have a minute, the well, uh, sure you're I, editing it, dude. I, yeah, so we I got, got your minute. <laughs> it's your dime, brother. When uh, I actually got busted, uh, my dad had a buck one ten in his. He had a drawer in the kitchen. He kept his wallet and keys and stuff in. Wait, wait, wait. Now, when you say bust, yeah. So, so I found I found his uh, this buck one ten, and it's a it's a lockback. And I was I was a younger kid. Yeah. I'm like, man, this is freaking cool. And I opened it up and uh, I didn't cut myself or anything. I was playing with it. And then I was like, oh, dad's coming back. And I like couldn't figure out how to get the thing closed. So I <laughs> threw it in the drawer and shut the drawer real quick and ran off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was so, hard to deny that one, wasn't it? Yep. How, how does this knife get open in the, the drawer that nobody's in? I don't know, Dad. Somebody must have broke into the house and was looking at it, and you scared them off when you came in. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was pretty funny. But yeah, just uh, you know, uh, and of course, there's. I, I will say this, and I've got to stroke Dan's ego a little bit. 
I am more than impressed with his Kephart's because I know the story behind him and I know what it's, uh, you know, what it's based on. It's based on one of the very few original Kephart's and I, I really like that knife. And I think Dan uh, has the uh, best portrayal of that knife right now. And I, I'm really fond of that, but uh, I do not have one. As far as uh, factory knives, uh, you know, just like what I said, actually, the more uh, traditional stuff is, yeah, it just just has a soft spot for them. I, I just I just got a soft spot for it. Oh, by the way, Dan, uh, congratulations on your uh, magazine article. That was I I picked up my copies just yesterday. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting the the value of mine going down and having them sign it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it hurts because it's. True. I'll have to. <laughs> I'll have to get him drunk to sign mine. <laughs> yeah. Or I'll have to be drunk to give it to him to sign. Either way, we're going to be drunk. That's, that's yeah. Either the... way, there's probably going to be some drinking of the uh, adult beverages. Speaking of drinking, how often have you been mistaken for a shaved Sasquatch? Well, you know, Dan, I am a Sasquatch. (laughs) (laughs) Are you just going to go ahead and come out? Yeah, yeah. Because old Todd is coming out of the closet. You're the only one that has had enough uh, insight and intelligence to actually pick that up. So, therefore, I'm going to tell you that you have to know my pain on how much of a pain in it is for me to shave every day. (laughs) Hey, you know what? This is a it's a new world. We're accepting. We're understanding. You can be the you that you were born to be, Todd. Well, I, th- I appreciate that. I- I'm here to embrace you. Oh, well, uh, I'm glad you're not here right now. <laughs> and, and how do you pronounce your name in Sasquatch? Hawoogie <laughs> Lebo. I, I, I will endeavor to say your name correctly from here on out. Yeah, don't ask me to repeat that because I don't know what the hell that was. <laughs> it sounded like a proposal to marriage. <laughs> I think it was. Are, I think I saw it on the same uh, Slim Jim commercial. Yeah, are you accepting? <laughs> yeah, I was, we're going a few miles. We're developing a strange pattern here, aren't we? <laughs> Oh man! Uh, so, how did you get started knife making? Uh, the very first thing that started me in knife making was my dad. Uh, he, and this is actually kind of a funny story too. I've got an uncle that's always been a big inspiration to me. He's uh, been into uh, traditional muzzle loading and uh, tomahawks and knives, and uh, actually. Uh, recipe that I have developed for my curly maple, uh, 80% of that is his old secrets. And back in the day, him and my dad used to run around quite a bit, and they was at a muzzleloader shoot. And it's my Uncle Gary. My Uncle Gary gave my dad a knife to use as a patch knife, and somehow or other, I have no idea how it happened. My dad screwed it up, broke it, chipped it out or something. And my father, being the the polite term, would be resourceful. <laughs> he didn't want to spend the money on a knife. He decided that uh, 
He goes, well, I think I can make you one. So my dad gave it a shot and made the first knife that he ever made. And I'm talking, this was uh, 40, see my dad's, yeah, 40 years ago. And he made his very first knife and he gave it to my uncle Gary. And then, you know, making knives is like, uh, what is it? The Lay's potato chip. Nobody can eat just one. Well, you can't just make one knife. You always, I don't care how many you've made at this point in my career, I've made thousands and I still think I can make the best, the next one better, you know? And that bug hit my dad and he started making knives. And I remember when I was a little kid, he made a workbench out in the garage of my childhood home. And that by itself amazed me that, well, I've never seen people do this. You know, you always see this stuff, but you never see things built and you never appreciate it. Well, I did at that age. And my dad had this small workbench. I mean, it was like three by six, maybe. And he would go out there And about every Christmas, he would make a knife for one of my uncles. My mom was one of uh, seven kids, and he was one of three. So I had plenty of aunts and uncles. And every year, he'd go out there. and he Now, of course, he didn't have any tools. Let, Let me iterate that. He didn't have the tools that any of us have. He had hand files, sandpaper, and that was pretty much it. And he would take a deer antler that one of my uncles had harvest and he'd put a saw blade in it, something that he didn't have to heat treat. And they were crude, but they were very well made and very well put together. And I actually remember my first recollection of that was actually standing on a milk crate uh, to look over the workbench to watch him do that. And it just, it just absolutely amazed me how somebody could do something so cool with just their hands. And I think that's what first got me kind of just hooked on it. And that was probably at the age of about seven, if I was guessing. And then it just went on from there. We had a, we lived behind a shopping center when I was a kid and we always used to ride our bikes up to the JC food store and buy bubble gum and baseball cards and whatnot. And they had the knife magazines way back then. And I remember being a kid idolizing, and I still do, you know, people that are still around today, fortunately, like, well, uh, Buster Warinsky, he's not around anymore. But seeing that, uh, Ed Fowler, Ed Fowler was a big one, man. I, I used to watch him make knives over 30 years ago. And I idolized these guys. And I knew that, I would never, and this is what it came down to, I'm serious, and this is going to sound really shallow, but I knew that I would never probably be in a place to where I could afford one of their pieces. So my mindset was, man, I like working with my hands. I bet I can make something like this. You know, from there, I just started uh, carving out pieces of scrap bone in my dad's garage and pissing him off because it stank, stunk everything up <laughs> and I wasn't doing anything worth a damn, but, uh, that's where it all started for me. Nice. That is probably one of the best origin stories I've heard so far. Well, and then I was, uh, had to leave because I had to go back down to Haiti and save uh, some kids out of a burning schoolhouse. But so it, it, it got well, it. I told you, I didn't mean to start the fire. Okay. It, it got interrupted a few times. Going back to this. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, you spill a little napalm and all of a sudden you're a war criminal. The cool thing of it was, I was like, especially like uh, Ed Fowler. I idolized that guy my whole life. And he, hell, he was old 40 years ago. Or to me, he was anyway. And I thought, you know, I'll never have an opportunity to meet this guy. You know, we're on a first name basis now. I talk to the guy about three or four times a year. The first time I met him, I totally bed and he made a fool out of me. But he got a laugh out of it. So I thought, well, if Ed Fowler's laughing at me, I'm going to laugh too. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's so wild is because uh, I'm fortunate enough to actually be able to know some of these people that I idolized when I was a kid. It's I, I consider that a real blessing. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's amazing. A Blade Show, the bunch of people that are all just regular regular guys that are fairly approachable to come Everybody's up. Everybody's a regular guy yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll you'll have a beer with somebody and just realize, oh wait. That was my idol. And yeah. he just had a beer and he's a normal guy. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like my dad. Uh, he's always admired Jerry Fisk. And I tell my dad, oh, yeah, Jerry's a good guy. You know, I, we've talked several times. Ethan introduced me to him and blah, blah, blah. He's like, you know Jerry Fisk? I'm like, yeah, he calls me by my name every time I walk by. We talk and, and he he can't he can't fathom this stuff. And it's like. When I stop and really think about it, I'm like, holy crap. If you would have told me 20 years ago that I would have been talking to these people, let alone been friends with them, I would have said, man, you're crazy. Yeah, everybody is is warm and accepting to a point. Yeah, right up until you tell them their designs are crap and then they get all defensive. No, well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> or you spill, Or you spill beer all over their knives. Well, now I have done that. <laughs> oh, that's just good fun. Yeah. Well, uh, you guys know Big Chris, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris Bear. As a matter of fact, he just lives about an hour from me. I and he and Chris doesn't drink at all. Him and his wife, either one do. And uh, the very first year I was there, I spilt my beer all over his knife. <laughs> And I couldn't do anything but try. You know, I'm I'm the uh, I'm the asshole that was not worried about his knives. I was worried about trying to save some of my brew. <laughs> I told him, I said, Chris, I can't apologize enough for this, but I said these are six dollar beers, brother. <laughs> You'll sell your knives. I won't get that six bucks back. <laughs> but no, yeah. big Chris, man, he's he's a great guy too. Yeah, yeah, I love watching some of his videos and stuff of him doing uh, the cutting, cutting competition stuff. Him and his wife and the backyard oh, yeah. and stuff too. And the thing of it is, you like read the comments about. I mean, Big Chris is a monster of a guy. You think I look like a yeti? I mean, this guy makes me look small. Yeah. And there is no milder tempered man on the face of this earth. I mean, I remember Murph's been around him a few times, and you guys all know Murph, and he's like, man, they're that guy kind of offends me. I was like, really? You're big enough to pe pick him up and eat him and he offends you? Well, you know, I don't know. But uh, no, they are they are a great bunch. And a lot of times we'll go out to dinner with uh, the berries. And unfortunately, the last couple of years, he's had so much going on. I've had so much going on. We haven't been able to do it. Yeah, they're they're good folks. 
So you talked about uh, grinding some horn and different stuff in your uh, dad's shop. What was the, do you remember the first knife you actually made? Yeah, I still have it. Uh, it was 1998. I, and I had done some rehandles and got some blanks and, and done that whole thing. But uh, the very first knife that I made from ground up was 1998. And it was one of those things where I wanted to show off before I really knew what I was doing. And to look at the knife, it's it's an attractive knife, and I mean, it's done right, but the design is poor. Uh, but yeah, I still have it today. Uh, I could probably send you guys some pictures of it if you wanted to put it on your show notes or whatever. Please do. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably won't be tonight, but uh, yeah. <laughs> what would you say defines your style? Uh, no style. No class, no style, no. It's uh, no, no. Seriously, that's that's an inter- interesting question to me because, and I'm probably gonna uh, clear another one of your questions here. But as far as like inspiration, I take inspiration from things that are totally unknife related. Especially in this industry, I think it's necessary to kind of. There are so many knife makers that can be identified. By, I mean, you can take the maker's mark off of them and you can tell exactly who they are. What I mean, and especially this is more so true, uh, like in the older ones, like uh, Dalton Holder knives or, uh, well. Uh, yeah, a loveless knife is a loveless knife. You can, you don't need to see the. A loveless knife, exactly. Yeah, and all the, all the folks that I m- mentioned earlier, you can usually pick them up out of lineup. Well, in this day and age, you know, I don't care how good the design is. If you only got four or five knives, you can't really make a living. I mean, people in this day and age with all the information and the Internet uh, that none of those people had, people get too bored with stuff, you know. And I think that you really have to kind of take a step back and uh, evolve and kind of reinvent yourself and you know, there's things out there. There, I, I promise you guys both. There's knives out there that I have made that I could show you pictures of and cover up the name. You would never in a million years guess I made them. And that that was kind of getting back to what I was saying earlier about things that I did because I wanted to do them. You know, I've got a couple, and I wish I never sold them now, but I've got a couple of uh, mini katanas out there that just turned out fantastic and. Uh, you know, people's like, well, I don't see that stuff from you. No, you don't, because I'm busy doing this, this, and this. And that's that's what I'm trying to do is kind of get back to the point to reinventing myself because I do this for a living. And at the end of the day, you have to enjoy it. I mean, it is a job. It is a cool job, but it is still a job. Making not just what sells, but what you enjoy making. Exactly. So I'm... uh I'm trying to get a little bit more back to what I enjoy opposed to uh, the bread and butter stuff. Like the M18, the the big heavy chopper, that was your that, – that was a bread and butter pattern for you. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, interesting that you mention that because I'm actually taking about a year off from those. You, you was uh, – in the intro, I was listening to you talk about the uh, Kepharts and, you know uh, – what was it you said like six weeks you're doing Kepharts well I mean imagine a whole summer grinding quarter inch 01 tool steel you know I've made 
I've made close to 400 of those things now. And it's just like, man, you know, as as far as how big they are and it being a custom knife, my profit margin isn't huge on those. And it also keeps me from doing other things. So I did my best this year to get all my dealers stocked well on them. And I'm I'm gonna take a little bit of time off from. It. I, I've I've got to to keep it interesting for me. Yeah, making the same knife over and over, it just it, it kind of kills you after a little while. You need you need to stretch a little bit. You need to. It's eating oatmeal for breakfast every day. Yeah, and believe me, I love a little oatmeal with some brown sugar every now and then. Maybe some dried fruit, but eventually, I want some grits. I want some bacon and eggs. Honestly, I always thought oatmeal was horse feed, but I'll take the grits. <laughs> you know, I, I like you a little bit more right now. And I wasn't a huge grits fan until I had Ethan's cheese grits. And now I'm like, it's like the heroin of grits is Ethan's cheese grits. And so like everywhere I go. Use a little chicken stock, some cream, a little garlic. And then, of course, cheese makes everything better. Oh, cheese. Yeah. A little off topic. What's your favorite type of cheese? Mine? Yeah. Uh, I mentioned that the Wisconsin guy wants to know about cheese. I've, I have never met a block of cheese that I didn't like. And uh, as a matter of fact, I will elaborate on that. Uh, the other day, I bought me a chunk of Lindbergh cheese. Ooh, bold. Yeah. Yeah, that smells like dirty feet mm-hmm. uh, because I, I personally, I like it. But I can't buy it very often because everybody else in here wants to gag and puke. And now my son is pretty open-minded. Uh, he'll try anything that I'll give him. He trusts me. And I don't know where he went wrong there, but uh, yeah, he'll learn. Yeah, I bought some Limburger cheese the other day and fixed him one with some uh, prosciutto and cracker. And I said, "Try this, man. It's fantastic. It'll knock your socks off." And he took a bite out of that, and I thought he was going to fill the trash can up with vomit. (laughs) And I'm like, well, sorry about that, dude. More for me. And then my wife was cussing me because the refrigerator smelled like dirty feet. But uh, when it comes to cheese, the more expensive, the more elaborate, man, the better. But uh, if I had to just knock down my favorite cheese that you just go to the grocery store and buy – Man, it's it's hard to go wrong with mozzarella or baby Swiss. Yeah, that's pretty good. Oh yeah. So there's my cheese answer. You guys didn't think he was gonna get a cheese answer tonight, did you? Oh, I knew you easy. What uh, what style and techniques do you uh, do you kind of use, and what ones have you kind of most define your style? Uh, what was like as uh, far as like stock stock removal or well like do- some of the some of the other things one of the things you showed me how to do so the file work uh, there's not a not a lot of us that do that on knives uh, you do some pretty elaborate file work on spines and different things uh, you know I enjoy doing that but I enjoy doing that like I was talking to you about like the the more sentimental uh, knives because. You know as well as I do, that takes quite a bit of effort. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that, again, for lack of, of sounding insincere about some of my other pieces, but it's just something that only special pieces are are uh, worth. When it speaks to you. Yeah, does that make sense? Yep. 
Yeah. And I really enjoy it. I enjoy doing file work, but it's got to be my free reign of doing something. If somebody calls me up and says, hey, I want this file work, it doesn't interest me. But like Dan just said, if I'm working on a knife that's not necessarily for a customer, uh, I am blessed enough to where if I can knock something out here and there, it's uh, fortunately, it's usually easy to sell. But if I'm doing something that is just uh, something that I want to do, I don't mind putting that effort in. But if I have to, you know, somebody wants it on something that I'm charging them for, it doesn't it doesn't interest me. I don't I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like I have to do and want to do. And well, it's the uh, old joke about how do you ruin a hobby? You do it for. a Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's like uh, I've done some elaborate uh, file work on. Uh, a lot of my more ornate and more expensive pieces. And that's what I just, I didn't really necessarily put that into the drawing or the concept when I was thinking about it. It was just what spoke to me uh, as I was working on it. This is one of those secrets where I'm going to put it out there for you guys that are thinking about ordering custom work or want custom work. When you're talking to the maker, the more freedom you give a maker, the better product you're going to get. Like if you try, if you box them in with really specific requirements, that's all you're going to get. If you give them lots of room to just express themselves, you're going to wind up with a much better product. That's a fantastic point, Dan. And I won't, I won't give you kudos very often, but that's, that's a absolutely fantastic statement because uh, the thing of it is, when I started making knives, and I'm sure this is uh, true for the majority of people out there that do it, is, uh, man, I when I started making knives, I never dreamed that this would be a career. I, I never dreamed that I'd be doing this full time. And I never made a knife that I didn't, you know, that didn't, uh, uh, what am I looking for? I never made a, a knife to satisfy anybody other than myself. And as you said earlier, you get to the point to where it's a job and people call you up. But what brings the people to you is the fact of the things that you do, the 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 style, so to speak, that you have or the techniques that you use or the look or whatever it is. But people, first of all, come to you for what you're putting out what's coming out of your imagination, what's coming out of your hands. And then they want to change it. Well, I want that, but I want lime green liners. Well, that's just a freaking atrocity. <laughs> and, you know, uh, there's a lot of times I so much want, oh, well, I really love your work, but I want to change it to this, 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 and this. Well, what you want to change it to isn't my work. That sucks. And, you know, they always tell you that the customer is always right, but man, not necessarily. You know, I want to get back to the point to where people call me up for the work that I do because I think it's it's better work than uh, putting lime green liners on a curly maple knife. Come on, people. Uh, you know. You came to this. You came to me for a reason. My work being out there. Yeah. Yeah. Is what brought you. So let me. Yeah. Let me do it. Yeah. Let me do it. And that's, that's one thing fantastic about, uh, uh, the dealers. Kyle asked earlier about, uh, 
the dealers. One thing that I love about the dealers is one, uh, they order a considerable amount of knives. Of course, they get their discount to where they can make the money and not have to compete with uh, us. Uh, but the thing of it is, I get to do what I want, and it usually always sells better. And that's why I've been trying to totally get away from what's considered custom orders. And I get it, man. I get people all the time that say, man, you've got custom knives, but I can't order custom knives or blah, blah. You know, well, well here's the thing. I've got. That's because you order stupid knives. You know, 20, 40, 50. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the last order that I had from uh, Blade HQ was 170 knives. And I had free reign of what and I. And they did. give you the freedom to do you. Yeah. They say, well, what do you want? Well, I want this many of this model, this many of this model. Outside of that, do what you want. Well, guess what? They sell great. And then if somebody gets a hold of me, you know, Billy Joe Jim Bob from Sparrow Fart, Utah, <laughs> and he wants this knife with this particular one and this particular handle, and it, it you know, it sucks in my opinion. And then I got a special order of that stuff because I didn't order it because, well, it sucks. And you got to, you know, first you got to find it. Yeah, first you got to find, find out it. who's got it in stock. Uh, it's, and that's all that you're not getting paid for. Yeah, yeah. This is all things that you don't get paid for. And I understand people's frustration, but the bad thing of it is the customer doesn't understand our frustration. They see a product, they want to buy, they want it, and they want it now. And uh, just it, just working with the dealers eliminates that. And I'm, I, you know, I'm not trying to to sound harsh because if it's not for the people that bought my stuff, you're an artist, yeah. and it gives you the freedom to practice your art. Absolutely, absolutely. I've noticed you've been doing a lot of cool stuff with handles lately. Mm. Uh, what kind of handle materials are you you working with? Well, what what kind of handle materials do you like to work with? Well, that's kind of a loaded question. It's uh, oh, that's bad. what I like to work with. Yeah, what I like to work with and what's easy to work with is two different things. My personal favorite is natural material. I like bone. I like wood. God, you like a stinky shop. Yeah. No, I, I like all that stuff. But as far as working with it, that stuff sucks too, you know. <laughs> because, because you never know exactly what you're going to get with natural materials. And even if you nail it, uh, there's no guarantee that it won't shrink. It won't warp, especially when you don't know what kind of person is buying your knife. You know, the number of times that I have been working a natural material and I get the contour just right. And then I find a flaw in the material and it's right there at the level that matches my contour. Yeah. And then what do you do? Do you knock the handle off or do you put one out that's got a flaw in it? Yeah, it's like I, I just had a guy get a hold of me the other day. He had some 10,000-year-old mammoth tooth. And he's he takes a picture of it and he says, hey, can you make me a knife this size with this mammoth tooth on Screw it? Screw that. And I just told him, I said, I said, man, I have no freaking idea until I get that tooth in my hand. He's like, well, I don't want to send it to you without, you know, obligating yourself to a project i said you don't understand i said i don't give a damn how big that piece of tooth is uh how big that is being a natural material and being what's in there that 
I can actually work with is two different things and totally on the opposite ends of the spectrum. I have to physically have it in my hand and probably take it to a grinder before I can tell you if it's going to be sufficient, you know? Yeah. Mm. And people don't get that. Hey, I got a deer antler that my grandpa gave me back in 1815. And uh, can you make a, make me a big Bowie knife out of it? And they can't even send you a picture of it. Uh, I'm sorry. And I'm going to take responsibility for a material that you have this deep emotional attachment to that is completely irreplaceable. Yeah. And then I'm going to put it on the grinder and see if it'll work. Yeah. And if it doesn't, guess who's going to be the SOB, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as far as materials that I like the best, as far as uh, I, I do like the natural materials, as far as look and the uh, traditional style. But as far as actually working with materials, as far as machinability, workability, uh, precision thicknesses and whatnot, G10s and micartas uh, are, are fantastic for me as well. So we're, we're not going to see a lot of bone inlay? I didn't say that, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we – because I've noticed uh, – actually, I've – kind of i've got to admit I've, I've been a little tempted to try and uh see if you do some stuff because some of the interlocking handle materials you're doing now are they're impressive well i appreciate that yep it's pretty cool you've done wood and g10 and that kind of stuff yes. but uh i didn't know if that was from a mechanical process that it really needed to stick with stuff that can be trued and squared really easily I've got some things on the bench right now that are uh, G10 based with uh, bone inlays. You hit, you heard it here tonight, yep. people. <laughs> bone inlay coming from TM Hunt Customs. And I, I've got a lot of bone around here. Anytime, well, Kyle's been down here. Yeah. Oh, I bet but, you uh, do. Well, not at this, not at this moment right now. <laughs> Your voice kind of ruins that. <laughs> God, you sound like my wife. Yeah. Remember, she listens to the show, Dave. <laughs> I could always give her the timestamp to go listen to also. All right, Kyle. What, Kyle what's oh, fantastic. <laughs> she don't have to bore herself with all this. Kyle, you don't live far enough that I'm not willing to drive. <laughs> Come on, I'll buy you a pizza. <laughs> you, you might be giving me your guest room. <laughs> don't let me take her to a liquor store. <laughs> buy her a Slim Jim. <laughs> we know what happens there. Yeah. Get oil dry. <laughs> so, uh, what are some of the the most uh, must have tools in your shop? Uh, lots of people. It's the grinder and uh, stuff like that. What's uh, what's some of the must most uh, most used tools that you have? Well, that's changed a lot for me in the last year. Uh, you guys was just asking about the inlays and whatnot. I recently. Well, I say recently, I've had it over a year now. I acquired a, uh, a CNC router, and that thing has totally changed the way that I make knives. It's made it easier, and it's made the work more precise. It, it gives me the ability to do all those kind of inlays. But for anybody that is wanting to make anything in a uh, a quantity, the one thing that you have to have is a thing called repeatability. And that makes it to where 
I can repeat things. So it makes it easier in the process of like, if I have to make a sheath, I can make the sheaths all the same. I can make this all the same. I can do this all the same, but, uh, it's just a matter of developing and mastering a process more than it is a specific knife or whatever. I, I mean, I've got several tools and before I was really big into the knives, uh, I've always been into metal fabrication. I mean, that's one thing that the good Lord did bless me with. I've always been able to, uh, I've always been able to work with my hands and I've always been able to make metal do what I want it to do. But the secret, and I'm going to say it here and now, the secret is the biggest percentage of, or the biggest majority of all that is just having the uh, proper equipment and the knowledge on how to properly use it. So every machine I have in my shop, and my you've been here, Kyle, my, my shop is not big, so I don't have a whole lot of room to spare. So everything that's in here is in here because it's a viable piece of equipment. You know, I, 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 I can look around here now. I'm, a, I'm actually out here right now. And, I, you know, there's not one piece of equipment that's laying here that uh, isn't utilized. And I wish I had two of some. I wish I had three of some. But, uh, you know, it, it all gets acquired, you know, one piece at a time. Yeah. Very cool. Is this thing on? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I went to go get a beer. What were you saying? <laughs> Uh, something about you being a, uh, never mind. <laughs> That's cool. As you've built the business, what are, what are some of the, what are some of the things you didn't expect that you'd have to deal with that you did? Oh. Cause uh, I mean, you've, you've gotten big quick. I mean, you, you've, uh, you've made the maker's dream of going to dealers only. You what were some of the challenges of getting to where you were that you didn't expect? Dan, this will probably hit home with you and Kyle, both of you. The easiest thing that I do every day is make a knife. Yeah. It's just like anything that you, if you want to get good at anything, practice, repeat, practice, repeat. And it becomes almost like muscle memory. Uh, you want me to make you a knife? No problem. Uh, that's an easy task for me, and I'm not bragging. It's just what I do every day, day in, day out. Uh, making a knife is way easier than running a business. You bet your hind end it is. Uh, you know, what I wasn't expecting was, you know, because it's only me. You know, I, I've got the paperwork. I've got the books. I've got the orders and the thing that's very necessary in our business is uh, exposure. And right now in the day and age that we are in, your biggest bet for exposure is social media. And I'm going to tell another thing on myself that's probably going to make some people mad, but I just cannot hardly stand being on social media. Hey, try being severely dyslexic in a text environment yeah yeah i can imagine i can imagine and, and but it's something that we have to uh deal with and overcome it's just another part and another tool of what we have to do yeah ma making a knife is the easiest thing i do all day and, and you leave me alone in the shop 
I'll put out some kick stuff. But when it comes to everything else and getting taxes and getting calling this guy and doing this and doing that, man, it just drives me to the point of insanity. Part of it is that it's unpleasant to do. And part of it is, I don't know if it's this way for you, but for me, as I'm doing whatever it is, all I can think is I'm not making a knife right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm doing this this really unpleasant bit of work and I'm not making a knife. I'm not doing something that's billable. Yep. And, you know, especially people want to interact. And again, I'll probably never get another knife order when this airs, but preach, you know, I, I I want to talk to people. I really do. I, I want to interact, but, I don't have time for it, you know, and people's like, oh, well, he's, uh, you know, answer emails or he doesn't do this or he doesn't do that. I was like, well, what do you want me to do? You want me to make knives? Or you want me to answer emails and and play uh, God on Instagram or, you know, what exactly do you want? Yes. Well, we need more. Uh, yeah. 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 They they want it all. And you guys both just like me you're a one man show and there's got to come a time to where you got to say no to something i'm not going to say no to making money since this is the my only outlet of doing it and i'm not going to say no to my wife and two kids that are inside the house so yeah. uh I, if, i'm sorry if it's answer 32 sounds... emails or go to my kids yeah. ball game i'm going to the ball game i'm going to go to my ball game because that's what they're going to do and, uh, you know, I really, really had a hard time with that for a, a long time because I am not uh, a guy that likes to turn his back on things, especially if people are interested and, and are engaged. But it just comes to a time, just like what I told you about the sentimental value of a knife, uh, you, get to a, you get to a situation to where you have to make a choice. And I can answer emails all day if you want. I can, uh, you know, but, you know, your one month just turned into six months. But, you know, nobody understands that. And I get it. But I try to temper it with when people, when it seems frustrating to me, I try to remember. So I'll order stuff. And then I'm really fixated on getting it because I'm really excited to get it. And I try to remember that some of the back and forth is that they're excited to get my product. And that's the most flattering thing in the world. Oh, it is. It's fantastic. But I've had some people that get frustrated that it may take me two or three days to respond to your email. Yeah. I'm a one man shop. Yeah. you know, nowadays people are accustomed to they send an email and somebody from a call center immediately responds to them. I don't have a call center. I'm one guy that grinds knives during daylight hours and then tries to respond to emails and be a dad when my kids get home. Absolutely. And and trying to keep that balance and trying to explain to people, hey, I appreciate your enthusiasm. I appreciate that you're looking forward to my product, but please understand I, I've only got a certain number of hours in the day. 
and it's it, it's hard to find that balance. Yeah, and and I've struggled with that uh, uh, quite a bit because I've got this phobia of letting people down type of thing. But I'll yeah. tell any anybody out there that is new to making knives or seriously thinking about getting into this thing. Uh, let me tell you right now, if you haven't customer off, I don't care how good you are or how well intentioned you are. If you haven't off a customer, then you just haven't made enough knives because it will happen. There's two things that are going to happen if you make knives. Eventually, one is going to break and eventually you're going to piss off a customer. It's going to happen. Yeah. If you do it enough times, it's going to happen. Did I tell you guys about the cold threatened to kill me for $5 of shipping? Oh, God, I was hoping you would mention that because <laughs> I followed that thread for a while. I think I must have missed Good that one. Lord. Have, have you seen uh, Todd? Don't want to see this happen. He was going to come down to Blade Show. He said, and this was his exact words. Well, I only live a little ways from Atlanta, Georgia. And if I can make it down there this year, I'm going to come down there and shoot you. But if I can't make it this year, I'm going to come next year and shoot you. Uh, my 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 immediate rebuttal was well if you're going to come down and shoot me on either one of those days i can i ask you a favor and that would be come shoot me on friday so i don't have to work so hard <laughs> the weekend do it on saturday yeah, or yeah don't do it on yeah, don't do it on sunday at 245 you know when the place closes at three <laughs> you know do it on sunday save me the having to pack it up <laughs> yeah yeah Absolutely. Matter of fact, uh, get there Thursday night so I don't even have to sit up on Friday. <laughs> there we go. But, uh. but yeah, this guy, he was uh, – and what it was was uh, – see, my, my wife does do a lot of shipping for me. And this guy especially requested that it was, uh, I don't know, like $5 extra. And I could be mistaken. Like I said, I'd have to get her for the details. Five dollars extra for signature required uh, required signature. Yeah. Well, when you're sending a bunch of stuff out and you've got one little red flag that says, "Hey, this one requires a signature." Yeah, just send them all the same, right? Yeah. And uh, I got fifty packages here. Yeah, I got you know I've got twenty, thirty, ten, whatever the number is, and I don't. But anyway, this guy evidently paid five dollars extra for the service. So he got the knife, but he didn't have to sign for it. So immediately he was like, well, you owe me $5 uh, refund. And I wasn't totally offended by him asking this, but I did, you know, I couldn't remember exactly what the circumstances were. So I asked him, I said, well, do you mind me asking what I owe you $5 for? And he took that as I was being combative and trying to deny him his $5. And this guy went totally berserk, giving me all these things about honor and integrity. Well, you know, I really don't need his, you know, comments on that. He don't know me and all of this. And I just, I just told him, I said, listen, man, talk to me like a human being, dude, you know. Well, I can don't come be, down there. Rule number one is don't be a mm-hmm. Yeah, no, rule, exactly. Don't be a mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, well, I don't live that far from uh, uh, Georgia I can, or Atlanta. I can come there. I said, well, just remember you ain't going to have your keyboard 
to defend yourself. Come with your keyboard, big boy. And that's when he's like, I'll kill you. He says, I'll come down there. If, uh, and if I can't make it this year, I'll come next year. I'm going to shoot you right through the head. It's like, man, are you serious, people? It's a freaking knife. Are, are you that insecure with your being and your situation that you have to threaten somebody's life over $5 worth of shipping? And I didn't say no. I just asked for some specifics. Uh, I didn't say no. As a matter of fact, this guy, I even gave him a discount because he was, and I, I hate to uh, put a scar on the face of the military, but this guy was a, was a military vet. You know, assholes in every group. If it's big enough, you can. Well, well I, had like I, I had a command sergeant major. But anyway, mm-hmm. those those kind of interactions uh, really bring me down. So I try to figure out a way to. Uh, you you want to know why we don't take custom orders? It's because the <laughs> don't get exactly. upset with me. Go find that asshole and whip his. <laughs> 110%. As a matter of fact, I took that order when my books were closed because he was a military veteran, and look what it got me. So he, was, yeah. he wasn't there this year. So, guys, both of you, uh, I guess that means he's coming next year. You might want to stay clear of my table because evidently I got a shooter coming after me. Yeah. Well, I'm only just a couple rows in front of you, so <laughs> yeah. hopefully I'll be able to respond. I don't. I don't think you can be killed by a mortal bullet, Todd. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang out and see. I'm, I'm, I'm tucking behind Kyle. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you might have to uh, really think skinny, man. Oh no, 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 no. I, I mean, yeah, I'll have to duck, but I think I got me in with. <laughs> yeah, all right. It's motivation. Todd can get small. Yeah, yeah. I can duck. Yeah, I got. I have that. Uh, uh, Nicholas uh, impregnated wood barricade that I can duck behind. Oh, that'll stop a bullet, no problem. <laughs> About eight hundred pounds of wood. I, I still don't understand how those tables didn't buckle with uh, all that on there. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. You got a point. I mean, that's those tables suck. Man. Once it's stabilized, yeah, I've started bringing my own tables. Yeah. Well, you're in it. You're in a big boy booth that they don't give you anything. Oh, no, no, no. They, they don't I mean tables, Dan? You got to pay for the tables. Are you kidding me? You got to pay for tables. You got to pay for power. You got to pay for carpet. If, if you ever want to hear some uh, mm. talk to Lee about how much they were going to charge him to rent uh, a couple of light-up display cases for the three days. Oh, yeah. Really? The, man. What's the tag on that? Best thing. I think it was like $1,200 for a, for a three-footer. That's crazy. Yeah, for the glass lit display cases, it's outrageous. So Lee Lee bought three of them because uh, they needed some more for the shop. He bought three of them for the cost it would have been to rent one of them. And just made them mobile? Yes. Well, he had to pack them up and set them up and then tear them down and bring them back to the shop. But I used to live in North, North Georgia, and there was a furniture maker I worked with, um, Black Dog Studios. I hope he doesn't mind me giving his name out. But the smartest thing I did the first year I was going to have a booth is I was so backed up with knives, I didn't have time to do any woodworking. And I had him pretty much build my booth display for me. And he built it so everything that was interlocking so it would, you know, it would cube down into an easily packable form. Brilliant. And what I paid him, I hate to tell him, I kind of screwed him. 
the price he asked for when we first started talking was half of what Blade Show was going to want for display materials. I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you an extra 10% just because I like you. Well, that sounds like smart business to me. Mm. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, he probably went above and beyond just uh, because you did that. And and he did a phenomenal job. Well, speaking of uh, other things, uh, what's the what's the next uh, new thing coming out of the TM Hunt shop? If you're, uh... oh, dude, I was going to ask that question. Okay, hold on, <laughs> hold on, let's stop. Uh, go ahead and ask, Dan. <laughs> so, Todd, uh, we've been talking about some of the the new directions you want to go in the shop. Uh, we've talked about moving to a, a dealer centric business. But what's what's the new thing that's going to come out of the shop? What's what do you want to talk about tonight? Nobody's ever heard premiere. You see what I did there, Kyle? I'm trying to keep the peace here. <laughs> <laughs> see, we both know that that whole bit is going to get edited out. It'll never make it to the final cut. Oh, you guys are terrible. <laughs> but I feel better for having been able to say it. Okay. All right. Well. Okay. Um. What's new? What's new as far as... Oh, come on. Don't uh, be a tease. Oh, no. Seriously. Well, I've got a couple of things new. Wait, you, like I said, I'm, I'm taking... Are you not ready to go public? Do what? You're not ready to go public yet? Well, you act like I'm coming out of the closet or something. <laughs> Wait, which thing are you talking about? Only, only Dan is. <laughs> I'm just asking, <laughs> is there any cool knives that are uh, getting ready to make a debut? There, I don't... Yeah. Yes, there are. And they would be... Oh, you want me to elaborate? <laughs> well, I've actually got a few different projects. Like I said, uh, for anybody that may follow any of my social media, I pretty much announced the discontinuation of almost everything that I make. And uh, everybody's like, oh, he's... So no, so no carbon fiber for Kyle? Uh, so, no, I still got that on deck. Um <laughs> I'm not talking about existing orders, but I, I, I haven't said no. I'm just saying I in a while. Yeah, I have a feeling we're going to get to that before this time's up too. <laughs> but uh, I just got to allow uh, some time for some other projects. Uh, a lot of them, most of them are knife related and some of them aren't. But uh, I've got to... Uh, free up some time to put my efforts in other places. One of them is a new product. One of them is a project uh, that's cutlery related that I've wanted to do for many years. It goes back to our conversation earlier about doing something that I want to do. And uh, another one, you know, not so much, but uh Told it. That's the most non-answer I've heard since the last. Well, I'm not debate. done, Dan. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to uh, figure out a way to introduce this as painfully as I possibly can. But uh, oh, I thought you were building suspense. Yes, I've. Uh, like I said earlier, one of the things that I've always had a fond fondness for is just like your old pocket knife, like the Barlows that everybody's grandpa has carried, and whatnot and i have that was my first that was your first one dan yeah no kidding yeah i got an old imperial barlow that was a little brown plastic handled imperial barlow was the first knife i ever got oh yeah it was probably a fantastic knife it cut 
spit out of me. Well, that's yeah. But uh, <laughs> to keep the anticipation to a minimum, uh, I have uh, I've got a small line of slip joints that I think that I'm about to present to the world very shortly. Very cool. That's right. You hit. You heard it here first, folks. Knife Perspective is where you come to get cutting-edge news. TM Hunt is about to come out with some slip joints. And, uh, yeah, I'm comfortable enough to where I've got some working prototypes that I can also send you guys some pictures of those. But uh, the one thing that I didn't want to do, and, and I've been threatening for years that TM Hunt will come out with folders, but uh, I didn't want to rush it, and I wanted to do, uh, again, in reference to our earlier conversation, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to do how I wanted to do it. And I, you know, I didn't want anybody's interaction in it. I know that sounds selfish, but I wanted to do how I wanted to do it. So I wanted to start out with a slip joint, which I've made some slip joints that have been on my Instagram and whatnot. But the thing of it is, uh, people in our uh, profession where we're at, we need to figure out how to make several. Yeah. One is nice. 50 is pages. Nice. Yes, exactly. And what else I did not want to do was just take somebody else's pattern and take it apart and mimic the parts. I wanted a totally one-off TM hunt uh, folder. So I had to do all the geometry and the pivot point and all that stuff. And I actually was able you was asking me earlier, Kyle, about uh, pieces of equipment. This is the first knife in my life that I have ever designed totally by CAD. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I did it on my uh, router. Cheated. And I made a complete working model out of G10 that uh, I have transferred over to steel. And I've got a batch of 18 of them. And they're about half done. And I haven't. Uh, let any kind of pictures out or anything because I wanted to have uh, working models before I finally got it out. But there has been a few teasers out and there's actually been a couple of uh, pictures that have leaked on Instagram that nobody has picked up on. Um, I, there was a video of Murph with, oh, wait, I'm not supposed to say anything, am I? No, go ahead. I mean, we're all out in the open. All right. Didn't uh, didn't Murphy uh, have one of your uh, one of your prototypes out and messing with it in one of his videos? He has. I've given uh, the first hand handful of prototypes out. My son has one. My dad has one. My father in law has one. Murphy has one, and I gave them all one because I wanted somebody, some people to carry these things and make sure that uh, because. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I don't know how people make slip joints, but how I make slip joints is a process that I've developed myself. And I haven't worked all the bugs out yet. So I want to get the finished ones out there to uh, make sure that they are adequate. And if anybody can screw something up uh, and tear something up to its fullest capacity, it's Murph, so he actually got the first one. And, the marine uh, to break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's got some nonchalant pictures to where uh, the choil area may cover up like the name, but if you look through his Instagram, 
you'll you'll see something that is a little bit different on those. And uh, and like I said, now now that we're out in the open, I can I can send you guys some pictures of of some things I've got. But please do get ready uh, to embrace the new Todd Hunt. I mean, yeah. Are those uh are those first sixteen that you transferred to steel? Are those already spoken for, or are those yeah. uh, going to a dealer? Uh, there there was eighteen, and I'll be huh. totally truthful. And uh, I screwed a few of them up to where they'll never see the light of day. Uh, you got to do that from time to time. The bucket of knives that'll never be is an important part of every shop. Man, I got a drawer that's deep as the sea, full of them, and. Uh, Matter of fact, I go through it every once in a while, and I'm like, I don't even remember doing some of this stuff. And that's probably why it's in the pile of knives that'll never be. But, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. As a matter of fact, I've got one sitting right here. Can you guys hear this? Uh, And we'll get the little click. You hear that? No. Yeah. I didn't hear it. Do it again. Here, we're going going shut. Listen up. No, no, I still didn't hear it. Do it again. All right. Well, <laughs> I think you're pulling my leg, over, man. Uh, oh, I that's heard your it. leg. Anyway, <laughs> the, uh, the beauty of it, uh, I made it on my. Uh, I I did it through the CAD on my CNC, and what I did is I've actually got it's the exact same knife, but I'm making two different sizes of them, and the only thing I have to do is scale it up or scale it down on uh, CAD. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I transferred this all to steel and I've got a few more, uh, adjustments to make, but I'm so far, I'm just absolutely beside myself in glee because, uh, this is, this is where I'm wanting to go and I am just within reach of it. It's, uh, you know, it's just like the Indiana Jones where he's gets kicked on the ground and he's trying to reach for his bullwhip and it's just, or his pistol or whatever. It's just right out of reach where his fingertips are kind of moving the butt of it or whatever, but he can't reach it. That's where I'm at with this right now. So, um, my hope is that these will be on the market and to dealers before the end of the year. Nice. Yeah. So when you transferred it to steel, um, your router isn't doing that, right? It, the router's mainly doing the handles or? My my router uh, makes everything but the metal parts. My router will cut non-ferrous metals, but it will not cut like uh, tool steels or stuff like that. So that is actually transferred to uh, a water jet. Okay. And the guy, the guy that's doing my water jet is is able to hold the tolerance uh, that tight in folding. Uh, is it Joe? No, I do. Uh, Joe has a router. Matter of fact, Joe, uh, you're talking about Snarsky, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, he has the exact same router I have. Okay. Because yeah. I knew he did a bunch of handle work. I didn't know if he was doing steel or not. No, no. Uh, he, he, him, and I have the exact model router uh, of each other. But uh, the water jet is the guy that I've used for several years for all of my, uh, dare I say, mid tech stuff. And uh, again, like I said earlier, you have to have repeatability to be able to make a lot of you know things. So uh, I'm getting the back springs and the blades 
uh, water jetted, but then of course I do all the grinding, stamping and heat treating, which, uh, the heat treating for back springs and a slip joint is a totally new venture. That's an entirely yeah. new. Yeah. So I'm, I'm learning a lot with that. I'm learning a lot with that because it seems like all these steels that all of us knife makers go through to figure out how to make the perfect knife when you want to make the perfect spring tension has nothing to do with that. And it's a totally different process. And there's really hardly very little information on it, as you would imagine. And uh, so mm -hmm. I have a whole notebook of just literally sitting in here for hours doing different steels to get them to spring tensions. And uh, I, I feel like I've, I've done a lot of work just in that by itself. Very cool. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was supposed to ask the next question. I got oh. distracted. Next big thing out of the shop. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 hold on. Let, let me interrupt you. I've yep. got another project, too, as far as cool stuff out of the shop. And this one is one that's just totally me, and I'm totally excited about it. It's going to be totally bad if I can pull it off, but I'm pretty certain I can. Uh, usually in life, if I think that I can do it, I can. And uh, I'll hold your beer. Okay. I have been working for, actually, I've been uh, trying to get to this project for about three years now, but I'm making another Bowie that Ooh. is uh, hopefully going to be the pinnacle of everything that I have made it thus far. Wow. That's that's a bold statement because you've made some pretty impressive buoys. Well, this one has uh, an integral 44 caliber black powder pistol in it. <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah, I got to see this. This should be pretty cool. And the thing of it is, uh, you guys have all seen like the pictures of the gun and knife combos that, you know, and they're all traditional. Well, this one isn't traditional. This one is traditional. <laughs> so I've, I've, uh, I've, I'll be using that term in the yeah, future. <laughs> I've taken it and I've put my own uh, stink on it. And right now uh, I actually have the gun part finished and functional uh, and it actually has a uh the way it's the way it's going to be positioned is the gun is going to be in the center of the knife so the barrel will be on the spine mm -hmm. but there will be a finger guard that you will put your finger in that there's no obstructions in when you pull the hammer back the trigger drops down into that area so it's the old pocket pistols yeah yeah and I've actually got the gun hmm. and the trigger assembly and everything done and working. And i am got to a point to where I'm uh, tying that all together. And I've got a massive, massive piece of brass that I have to machine that uh, fits everything together. And that's where I'm at on it now. But I'm hoping... Is this going to be like a, a B-show project or is will we see it sooner than that? I'm hoping that I'll have it. No pressure. I'm, I'm, my my hope is that I'll have it by B-Show. Oh. See, you're prepared. Somebody comes up, he brings a knife. You got a knife for the knife fight. He brings a gun. You got a gun for the gun got fight. Got it all. But, yeah, it's a forty four caliber, 
and I haven't actually fired lead through it, but I've got the hammer and the trigger working, and as far as the blast cap, it goes off. So therefore, the blast cap uh, is, you know, it's putting fire yeah. in the right the right area. So there's no reason it shouldn't work. Are Are you left or right handed? Well, actually, that depends because I'm kind of ambidextrous, and so if you're asking what what uh, what hand I shoot with would be my right. Yeah, so be sure to test fire it with your left. Oh no, 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 no! I'm gonna probably zip tie it to a tire with a long string. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, you're a thinking man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice. I've gotten there, but uh, that that is uh, like what we said earlier. That's a me project. And that's where you get your value right there. Yeah. And uh, when I'm passionate about a project, you're going to get so much more bang for the buck. Yeah, literally. No pun intended. <laughs> so you think they'll let you have that uh, at Blade Show? With the, I don't being, know why they wouldn't. Being a gun? It's black. Okay. I don't they know. They said what, anything it, about my 1911. No, it's, uh, <laughs> think about it, guys. It's, seriously, it's, it's black powder. Okay. There's no uh, really federal regulations against black powder there's plenty of people there that have black powder guns okay okay official end of the show question todd 12 inches (laughs) 12 inches okay that's the longest knife you've ever made (laughs) yeah where do you see the industry going what's the next big thing man I got to tell you, I don't have a positive answer for that. I think that uh, right now that the industry is, is at a, uh, a precipice a peak. Well, I'll have to look that one up, but yeah. Um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, this industry has boomed in the last five years. And that is good, and that is bad. Uh, that is good because it gets people interested in it, and you know it gets more people involved, and you get to meet more cool people and more friends. But it's also bad as far as uh, the market and what's out there. In my opinion, and this is just my opinion, uh, the market is a little flooded. And there's nothing wrong with that, and I I welcome all of that. But a lot of these people think that they get into knife making and they're they have the misconception of that they're going to be rich, they're going to be Jerry Fisk, they're going to be Fiddleback Forge, they're going to be Boosie, they're going to be something like that. And uh, I compare it to professional athletes or drug dealers. For every one guy that's really made it. There's thousands that are struggling, and there's tens of thousands that couldn't do it. Well, I, I agree with you 100%, and I always uh, associate it with music uh, business. Good one. Uh, you know, there's one Beatles, there's one Metallica, there's one, you know, whatever it is, your genre of music. Uh, there are those people that just knock it out of the park, but uh, for every one, there's thousands that just, I don't do as well or just can't hack it. Or ones and, that are just as good and haven't ever got their their break. Just play it on street corners and stuff. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you guys are both right. And I think I think the knife industry has gotten to the point to where uh, I think, in my opinion, it's at a peak right now. And like all things do, all good things come to an end. And I don't want to sound like Debbie Downer or anything, but I, th- I think it's going to start uh, losing a little bit of popularity. And why most of us would sit here and say that that's a bad thing, I think it's almost a necessary thing. Sweet and chat. Yeah, I I mean, uh, because I look at it from a consumer's point of view. You know, a lot of these people have gotten turned on uh, to the knife industry because of like forged in fire or uh, what's the other one? I don't even watch it. Uh, Knife or death. Not yet, knife or death. And why those shows are very good and they're very entertaining, what they are not is informational. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, but you don't make a good blade out of a freaking lawnmower deck, okay? It, it doesn't happen. And, but, and if you did a good heat treat cycle, it's going to take you more than six hours. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And these things aren't shown. And you got a lot of people that base what they know on that and uh, why they may be able to make a uh, a good-looking knife. It may not be you, – you, both of you guys know if your heat treat and all of your um, – you know, all of the, the chemical things about the knife, if, if that's not correct, I don't care how pretty it is, you've wasted your time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people don't seem to understand that um, when they pay a certain price for a knife, they are paying for that knowledge that that maker, they, they know this stuff and they understand it. And, you know, somebody that's... You're not paying for the knife. You're paying for the hundreds of hours I spent learning how to make a good knife. Yeah, absolutely. Like I told you earlier, I, I, you know, I was making knives for 15 years before I went full time. And I'm not saying I know everything because, like I also said earlier, I always still think to this day that I can make the the next knife better than the last. But that's what keeps people like you and and I and Kyle that's what keeps us going and that ensures that no matter where we're at in our careers the customers are always going to get the best of what we have to offer what keeps me going is wanting to make a better knife absolutely absolutely no matter how how good I've done I want to do better on the next one but more importantly you're also selling the knowledge that you've already accumulated. And this is what we do for a living. I mean, this is what we spend our time on. Uh, You know, people can't fathom the point that I get up, I drink coffee, I take my kids to school, and I screw with knives till 8.30 in the morning till 5.30 at night uh, at a minimum every day, six days a week, sometimes seven. And they're like, oh, well, here's... I, I go to bed reading about knives. I wake up thinking about knives. Yeah. And a lot of people don't get that, but that's what makes our product good. And, you know, a, a lot of these people that I see that are just getting into the hobby, they're making stuff that 
is I don't I, I don't want to be mean to anybody and I don't want to be discouraging to anybody, but uh, they have flooded a market and the consumer that's just getting into it, they don't know the difference exactly. Just because you make just because you can make a knife doesn't mean you know how to make it. Well, do your research, do your research. Don't don't make a cool pointy thing with a handle make a usable knife. I've often told people that if you have the talent, the skill, and the tools, it's not hard to make a knife. It's not necessarily hard to make a knife that is pretty, but to make a knife that is uh, visually acceptable, something that looks nice, and to make it functional to a, a purpose that you want is a totally different ball game to be able to take all those three things and put them together. It takes a little bit more of a, uh, in my opinion, uh, to, to merge those three things together is a, is a little bit different story. The skills to make a quality knife. That's only half of it. But the mechanical process of making the knife is, is a half or a third of it. Yeah. The rest of it is knowing what that is, the geometry, the physics, the shaping, the how and the why for a specific task. And then you got to know how to get it on the market. Yeah. Oh, exactly. There, there's so many things. Like I, like I said earlier in this uh, podcast, I said, the easiest thing I do is make a knife. That's the easiest thing I do in this business. You know, bringing everything else to a happy median is uh, you know a little bit more of a different story. And I don't want to discourage any new makers because there are a lot of talented people out there, man. You guys both know it as well as I do. There are a lot of talented people, and I don't want to discourage anybody uh, from getting into a industry that has been so kind to me. But, but I ain't gonna lie to you either. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna pull the wool over your eyes. Do your homework, be serious about it, and be passionate about it. And don't get into it for the money because anybody that gets into <laughs> knife making for the money, uh, yeah, I won't go there, but uh, I won't exactly say that you're yeah, the most delicious cookie in the package. Quick, raise your hand, everyone that's met a rich knife maker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's lots of people uh, that think they're rich. Yeah, well. but uh, I mean, perspective, all of my belts are paid for. Yeah. My belts are paid for, and uh, the wife went and got groceries and didn't have to take half of it back to the aisles. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't don't I, put the beer back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? The thing of it was, uh, I've had uh, several people uh, like bring old magazines that I've been in articles and whatnot, and ask me at, at Blade Show, especially, ask me to sign them for you know an autograph. And I gotta tell you, man, that absolutely floors me because I'm like. Well, first of all, I'm not a celebrity. I'm not a role model. I'm none of these things. And as soon as they walk away, I look at my wife and I said, you know what? I think I am the poorest person 
in the history of mankind to ever sign an autograph. It's it's just it's just awkward. I mean, I haven't signed an autograph. Have you not? Well, you will now that you got that big uh, cover. You will. As a matter of fact, I want you'll at least get two. Yeah, I uh, want you to sign but, mine, but I ain't paying for it. No, no, no. no. I mean, not in money. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't signed an autograph yet, but I've had people come by that you know I want to meet you, and I actually feel uncomfortable. I try not to make it awkward, but I. Look, I I'm just a guy that makes some stuff in a exactly. shop all by himself. Exactly. It, exactly. It, it, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that part of it. Yeah. And I, I hope anybody that has ever come by that they realize if there was an awkward moment, it was because it's me. I don't, I don't understand why you want to meet me. I'm just a, I'm just a guy that does some stuff. Yeah. If I wasn't me, I wouldn't care to meet me. I've, yeah, I've met you and I've got mixed feelings about it. I know. I'm still on the fence with you guys, too. Uh, I still keep coming by the shop. You haven't been down <laughs> here for a while, bit. Kyle. When's the next time you're coming? Yeah. I well, haven't I been know. down what to... Is, is carbon fiber M18 going to be ready? Yeah. Oh, we couldn't get away from that one. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs> I'm here for you, brother. It's been, it's been a while since we've actually been down there with all the, the stuff going on. Let me, let me, uh, uh, it's like parenting and stuff. Yeah. Let me say another thing to the people out there that are just getting into this hobby or, uh, the consumer that wants to buy the very worst thing that you can ever tell a knife maker. Dan, you want to feel this one? I'm not in a hurry. <laughs> we tend to believe you. <laughs> But, you know, uh, no, it's I, a double edged sword because, on one hand, you say, I'm not in a hurry, and you keep getting I'm bumped in back hurry. in the queue. Yeah. But the other side, you look at that list and you're like, oh, man, this guy has been awesome and he's been really understanding, and I haven't gotten to it. So, how am I going to hook him up? Okay. Mosaic pin, a little extra time on the grind. Yeah. It, if you say I'm not in a hurry, just accept it's going to take twice as long as you thought it was. Absolutely. Don't ever tell a knife. But maker. if you're really understanding, good chance. Well, I'm not in a hurry. And then you get an email every week. Hey, where, where are we at? Where are we at? Where are we at? Well, now let's <laughs> renege on what we let, – let's review what we said here. And uh, – those are the emails. Those are the ones when you open the email, I try to remind myself, okay, this is because he's excited to get my work. Yeah. yeah. Take it as a compliment. Well, that's good advice, and I'll remember that. But let me enter in one Kyle Daly. He sends the nastiest material down here, this side of hell. <laughs> like, oh, here you go. No big deal. And I was like, man, I appreciate you. Hey, I bought you providing some fiber. Material. Could you do this in August? Yeah, but I mean, uh, why don't we just form a line and we get all the family and the neighbors to form a line and kick me in the balls? I, you know, because I'd almost rather. Oh, but it'll look really cool. Well, hell yeah, it will. So will my blue testicles hanging down to my knees because it actually matches your knife, Kyle. Yeah. But uh, hey, let me upgrade my respirator cartridges yeah, and wear yeah, head to toe covering. I'm so glad that when this turns out, it is going to be so awesome, but it's going to take 10 years off my freaking <laughs> lifespan 
from the crap that I got to grind. <laughs> and not to mention the fact that I'm going to be itching for two weeks. I'm a little <laughs> bit butthurt about it. Uh, well, so much so that I've got it all roughed out, but I'm just waiting for it to cool down a little bit more before I suit up in my little uh, oxygen suit. Because, yeah, so I, I ain't got nothing else for you. Just Dylan Fletcher was going to do – both of us ordered uh, High Plains Drifters from uh, Dylan Fletcher. And he always he's always done 01 carbon tool steel. So when we had the choice, I said, hey, you know, that's your style. You know, the the contrast and, and uh, forge scale with the grind line really pops. That, that's that been you. Just just do 01 for me. Kyle had to ask for uh, for stainless steel. Uh, he oh, offered. Yeah. yeah that you want to hey, guess who's going to get that knife first? Yeah. yeah. I'd say yours be coming any day, Dan. <laughs> I figure mine's going to be in a shadow box, and I'm going to be tired of looking at it before Kyle gets here. You'll have your soul on the secondary market before he ever sees his. <laughs> Man, the funny thing of it is, you and I can, I mean, all three of us can sit here and joke about it, but this is the exact same thing that the consumer doesn't get. And it's unfortunate, because like what I said, if you haven't customer, uh, as much as you hate it, and I hate it, uh, you just hadn't made enough knives yet, you know. Okay, it's gonna happen, and, and I apologize to anybody. You know, this is this actually is an opening for a, uh, and actually, you're probably the perfect guest to talk about this with. Uh-oh. That I have thought about doing as a whole separate show, but how to successfully talk to your maker? Like for me, when I get an email that starts with considering the price of your knives. Like our interaction is an immediately going to take a negative dive when you open with that. Right. That is not a that is not a productive way to start a conversation. Yeah. Um, I got a story for you that I've got to tell you about a customer. He ordered a, uh, and I haven't made a whole lot of them because, frankly, I don't care to make them. But it was a WSK style knife, and this was way back in the day when I made the first one for Murphy. He called me up and he's like, man, that's what happened. Oh yeah. You try to do a favor for somebody. And this guy, he orders a WSK style knife and he's like, well, what do we do for handles? I said, well, what do you want for handles? You know, this is TM hunt custom knives. So, I mean, what do you want? The sky's the limit. He's like, well, I kind of like the looks of that uh, curly maple you do. I'm like, well, okay. It just so happened that I had a piece of premium, premium wood that was just absolutely gorgeous that had been sitting in my uh, workbench for like an exhibition grade. No, oh, perfect. And I thought, man, it's the perfect size. I'll just go ahead and use it on this guy. And I put it on there and finished it out, and it was permanently uh, affixed. It wasn't uh, something that you bolt on and off. It was permanently affixed. Yeah. And I charged him accordingly for it, sent it to him, and he called me back, and he was absolutely in love with it. He loved this thing. Couldn't, I mean, couldn't have been happier for it. And he paid a good price for it. Two weeks later, two weeks later, I don't know what the media was at the time, whether it was Blade Forms or Facebook or, uh, I don't know, I, I can't remember, but... 
I saw him advertise the knife again on one of his little outdoor excursions, and it had the curly maple cut off of it, and it was wrapped in uh, paracord. Oh. Uh, you know where I'm going. And I, I, you know, this guy's been messaging me all the way through the, the uh, make of this, and I actually messaged him back. I said, hey, man. I said, was you not happy with the piece of wood on there? Or what? What's going on? Did it break? Because I need to know if I need to replace it or, you know, what the deal was. Yeah. His exact response, I shit you not. He's like, oh, no, it was absolutely gorgeous. I loved it. I'm like, so why am I seeing posts from you that's got a paracord on it? He goes, well, I always had intended on putting paracord in it. But he says, I've been looking at all your stuff. And he goes, I didn't know that you worked in paracord. So I was just going to cut off whatever you sent me anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? <sighs> My skull literally split right down the middle. <laughs> it wow. separated by about six inches. A five-foot flame come out of my ears and my head, my eyeballs exploded. <laughs> if I could have reached through the phone and grabbed this guy, I swear by all that's holy, I would have. And he had every intentions of whatever it was. Yeah, I could have piece of my car on I there. I could have put a freaking toilet seat plastic on it, and he wouldn't have cared. And you could have put, put nothing on it. Saved, I could have saved you 80 bucks and put nothing on it. Well, I'll tell you what, that curly maple cost him more than 80 bucks because it was a one in every five years piece of curly maple that I find. And I, I, I deal a lot in curly maple. As a matter of fact, I just bought some more today. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, I'd still like to have that piece back because it was absolutely gorgeous. He took it to a bandsaw about two weeks after he got it. And that, sir, is communication ah, with break. your maker because that could have totally been avoided. Yeah. I still yep. got a little bit of a chapter for that, and that's been, Lord. Really? I, I hadn't picked up on that. Yeah, six or seven years ago, at, at the very least. <laughs> yeah, A big part is just be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. be honest about what you want, and, like, I've got a no-questions-asked guarantee. If you were throwing the knife and you broke the tip, just tell me. I, I was throwing the knife and I broke the tip. Okay, we can work from there. Fix or replace it. But but don't start with, as soon as I hear, I was doing basic bushcraft task. All, like, all right. All of a sudden is what I, <laughs> but, oh, I was just, All of a sudden, that's another red flag. Yeah, all of a sudden. I was just sitting there in my camp chair, just wheeling out a toothpick to pick my teeth from the steak we ate. And all of a sudden, a five-inch section of the blade just broke out. I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you get it back yeah, and it's been at a 90-degree angle. Yeah, I have no idea why. <laughs> well, and for me, from my perspective, first of all, it's no questions asked. So whatever you did, I'm going to fix or replace it. But I need to know what happened. If if you were prying something out of a, a hardwood log and you broke the tip, that's what's going to happen when you're prying stuff out of a log. Right. But if you really were doing something else, and maybe there's a problem with the heat treat, maybe there's a problem with a steel source, yeah, I need to honestly know what happened because I may need to make adjustments to my my production process. Oh, absolutely, yeah. 
one of the one of the best outlooks that I had on on just that, and this totally backs up everything you're saying, is uh, uh, Mr. Ethan Becker that we're both good friends with. He always told me, you know, when he had to replace a Becker for whatever reason, he always tried to reach out to the customer, and that's always what Ethan was good at. Yeah, uh, he, he's a social butterfly, and he's like, I, you know, I'm not trying to give you. <laughs> over breaking one but if you broke one of my knives i want to know how you did it you know so i can combat that in uh, you know trying to make it better i'm I'm not trying to void a warranty i'm not trying to not replace it i want to know how you broke this thing yeah so i i've always remembered that and you know uh, ethan is very if you can't learn something from ethan uh you're not listening He's one of the ones that taught me that if you're getting over communication from a client, appreciate the fact that they're excited to get your product. Yes. That don't, don't get, you'll be tempted to be frustrated by that, but take it as a compliment that they're excited to get your product. Absolutely. And when I start to send an, what I, I'll start typing in, I'm like, oh man, this is going to be an annoying email to you know, a leather guy or whoever I'm excited to get something from. I have to go back to the front of the email and go, please excuse me for you know, being for passed. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Please understand. I'm just really excited. Well, because you can relate, you know. And when I get that in an email, it completely changes the direction the conversation is going to have. Yeah. I can see that. And, and, and you're right. To your point, that is a perfect way to communicate to a maker or a client. I struggle with communication. There's a reason I work in a shop by myself all day. I I struggle to communicate with people. Um, I'm moderate to severely dyslexic, so when it comes to email, short emails are a long. Well, Kyle's had to proof my stuff. He can attest to. I mean, it is a long, painful struggle to get written text clear. It, 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 it's what I struggle with. Um, and anytime somebody makes that a little easier for me, the, the interaction is going to go better. Yeah. Mm, cool. Well, it's starting to get pretty late guys. You want to wrap this up? Um, Oh yeah. I got to take my wife to the airport in three hours. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I have on my agenda is going to bed. So I, yeah, I'm, my schedule. I'm now at that teetering point where is it worth it to go to sleep for a couple hours or just push through? Well, uh, y'all don't have to make that decision. We can <laughs> we can wrap it up. Well, only but, you are going to be able to make that uh, that decision. Yeah, yeah it's your game. Uh, I'm pretty sure whatever I decide will be wrong. All right, you want to talk to uh, or tell people how they can find you and contact you, Todd, or you want us to run through your big long list of dealers and stuff? Oh, it's not so big, man. Don't uh, don't <laughs> make me have to be more than what I am. Uh, yeah, it's not height proportionate. Oh uh, yeah, but since you mentioned, uh, uh, no, I, I do have uh, I do have a Facebook page, but I I don't tend to it very much. But I do have a private group page that uh it's kind of like a campfire type setting you can come in and and join but you do have to uh ask to be a member and that is uh tm hunt custom knives 
uh, Bayern users group, and you can help me out, Kyle, if that's not right, because is that yeah. right? Okay. It says TM Hunt Custom Knives owner slash buyer slash users group. There you go. There you go. Uh, come on in, man. Everybody's welcome. You don't have to be a knife maker. You don't have to have uh, – well, I'll just say you don't even have to have any sense to be on there because a lot of people don't. Uh, <laughs> just like uh, <laughs> I mean, Dan and I are both in there, so well, there you go. It's obviously love. Like like Dan said, the one rule is don't be. A t- <laughs> and if you can abide by that rule, everybody's welcome. Uh, I do have a website, uh, tmhuntcustomknives.com, Instagram. TM Hunt Custom Knives, but it's T period, M period. Don't forget that. Aside from that, uh, you know, I, I'm not so hard to get a hold of, but uh, I hope to. I mean, he doesn't want to talk to you, but you can get a hold of him. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> no, and that's that's not one thing that I was, uh, I enjoy meeting. Uh, and I've said this to many people. And you guys can probably both relate. One of the greatest things about uh, this profession is the people that I've met and the people that I've become friends with. And one of the worst things about this profession is uh, the people that I've met and the people that I am not able to make friends with. (laughs) And I'm not trying to sound cocky, but... uh, uh, you know, it just, uh, I'm always, always have open arms, opening welcome arms for anybody that, uh, just wants to hang out, be cool, but drama, take it somewhere else. And yep. that's, that's where I'm at. You want to go through your, uh, your dealers? Um, uh, yeah. Are you afraid no, you're, I got them you can't down. remember them all? Uh, yeah, USA Made Blade, uh, good friends, uh, Scott, and, uh, you know, Whittington, and uh, Kevin, and, of course, uh, Ronnie. Great bunch of folks. Old Town Cutlery, which we've mentioned and talked about before. Uh, Lee and Melissa, just great people. Uh, Smoky Mountain Knife Works, the biggest knife store actually knife store in the united states i'm proud to be a dealer or a supplier for them blade hq uh, they're probably stocked in the most uh of my stuff right now uh, they got a great selection of a bunch of stuff dlt trading uh has some great stuff knife center has my latest batch of uh, m18s and a few other things, and Lantac out of uh, Kentucky uh, has a good selection as well. So, uh, you know, like we spoke earlier, I am uh, putting my concentration towards uh, some other things right now. So uh, what's out there for the time being is what's out there. Uh, There's not going to be a whole lot of that kind of stuff coming out of here uh, for a while. So there's no M18s, but there are knife guns. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but just one one of those opposed to 400 M18s. I think I've earned the right, but uh, uh, but it's a knife. Gun. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just it's a knife and a gun. Uh, I'm just I'm just trying. I've I've 
as we talked about reinvention and whatnot, I've just got to take a little bit of break from that stuff to allow for other growth in the business. And everybody keep an eye out uh, for some folders because it's going to happen, like I've said for years, but I'm so close to it, and I'm really excited about them. I've already put my name down. Where'd you put it? Where'd you put your name down at? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got his name tattooed on my. <laughs> I mean, saving was a little awkward, but it was totally worth. It. I didn't realize that's what it was for, but since we're here, and you'll never forget me. Uh, I tell you right. what, I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to take that pillow talk seriously anymore. You keep this up. <laughs> all right we want to hey. we want to thank our uh sponsor of the podcast again jess hoffman of j hoffman knives and j hoffman hardwoods again uh take a look at his knives i saw on instagram he just posted up a bunch of bunch of knives that he's getting ready to take to a knife show in october i think it was and, uh, he said he's loading up on handle material putting it on instagram j hoffman hardwoods let him know that you heard about him here or want him to keep supporting the podcast and uh, you can stay in touch with the podcast, knifeperspective.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, too. And you can find the podcast uh, wherever you're listening to, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, all our uh, places and a lot of the other podcast apps, uh, catching apps, use those services to find them. If we are not on one that you think we should be, uh, please send us a – please send me a – Message Kyle at uh, knifeperspective.com and you can get in touch with me and find my work at uh, cagedailyknives.com and on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter, uh, Cage Daily Knives. And you can find find my knives on my website and at Old Town Cutlery. And you can also get in touch with me at Kyle at cagedailyknives.com. And uh, you want to tell them about you, Dan? Uh yeah, so I'm Dan Eastland, and I make knives. Where'd you come from? <laughs> uh, yes, you can find me at www.dogwoodcustomknives um, or Dan at Dogwood Custom Knives. I have a knife perspective email. I think I forgot the password to it. Yeah, so. we probably might as well just take that off there. <laughs> yeah, if you want to complain, the really – uh, the best way you're going to get a response is Kyle at knifeperspective.com. If you want to encourage us, Dan at dogwoodcustomknives.com. Or if you've got a question, that's the place to go. Yeah. I want to thank you again, Todd, for being on the show. It was a lot of good information and a lot of good laughs. Hey, uh, thank you guys both. Uh, it's been a great time for me as well. And thanks to all of your listeners. And I hope that they enjoy it. And I hope that I'm not kicked off here. And hopefully I can come back soon sometime. Yeah, it's always fun. All right. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. And uh, hope hope you all have a great day. Thank you. Good night. Good night, Kyle. Well, let's take it to the edge. That's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're gonna talk about our things now. That's what's expected. It's the night.
That's right. You got to screw everything up, don't you, Dan? I do. It's what I do. You know, I got to take it to 11. Yeah. But these go to 11. <laughs> Why don't you just make up? Thank God somebody gets it. Why don't you just make 10 a little louder? Because 11. eleven is more than 10. Yeah. And the whole time right, right there at 10, and you just need a little more, and then there oh, yeah. it is. And he's doing the interview with a big cold sore on his lip. <laughs> nice. You know, do you have any idea what we're talking about, Kyle? We might be showing our age here. I'm, I'm just, just I'm just going with it. it. Uh, this is Spinal Tap. You ever hear of that? I have heard of it. One of the first, one of the first rockumentaries ever done. Nigel Tufnell, the guitarist with colds, with the eternal cold sore. What that? They had a drummer. They couldn't keep they drummers like because they drum. were spontaneously combusting on stage. Uh, one vomited on. Uh, well, they think it was his own – or uh, suffocated on – they think he was on his own vomit, but it might have been somebody else's. <laughs> uh, one died in a horrible gardening accident. Yeah, and they had one spontaneously combust, right? Yeah, on yeah. stage. Yeah. You remember the little stone hinge that they had? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're dancing around a stone hinge that might be crushed by a dwarf. Five minutes, yeah. Oh, hey! You have an assignment now, Kyle. Right. You have yeah. to watch. Uh, you have to watch. This is Spinal Tap. All righty. By the next by the next episode, I expect you to be able to quote at least three specific scenes from Spinal Tap. Yeah, if not, you're fired. We'll we'll, we'll see about that. Lyric, or know the lyrics to Fat Bottom Woman. Either one. If I if I get fired, the podcast ain't happening. So. Oh. <laughs> Uh, okay. Look, you got two weeks. You can squeeze it in. <laughs> All right. Call it family time. The the kids are young. They won't get it. Yeah. <laughs> They're not old enough to, you know, ruin their upbringing yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, smelling the hand will not scar them. That's right. You uh, you act like I actually get to choose what's on the uh, TV when when they're awake and around. How, how old are the boys now? They just oh. turned three. Can you believe that? Three, okay. Well, so what's uh, what what is so on TV for a three-year-old? Yeah, what? yeah. What's what's on TV for a three-year-old? Oh, now? a lot of a lot of Disney movies, a lot of uh, Netflix. Um, there's a on uh, Amazon Prime. There's a, a show that's fairly good called Super Wings. It's about these. Uh, kind of transforming uh planes that deliver a package somewhere around the world and in in uh literally no time at all the 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 main guy gets in trouble and needs some help from some of the other super wings that are uh one's a builder one's like a rescue helicopter and stuff and uh amazingly wherever he is china Africa, South America, Canada, Alaska. Uh, whenever he needs help, there's a, there's another plane that's always there in like three seconds. So uh, flying from wherever it's at. But those those shows are fairly okay, and they just get really repetitive. And 
So Good you think Lord, Kyle. Wait, wait uh, till you have 10 times better than the I had to watch <laughs> when my kid. Well, wait till they were VHS and you had one episode that just basically got played on loop. Oh, there was no Netflix pulling up an entire season's worth. You had yeah. like one episode that you heard over and over. Oh, we and over. we still have those movies. Uh, they've watched Trolls a ton. Uh, the movie Sing. One of their one of their favorite movies is Turbo. It's about a snail that wants to race in the Indy 500. Um, that one's actually I actually still don't mind watching that one, even though I've seen it probably at least fifty or seventy five times. <laughs> So, but it was really it was really funny watching the uh, the Indy 500 with them uh, this past year. Uh, that was pretty cool. So at the very beginning of the the movie, they're always it like pans over and kind of moves between all the cars, and uh, my boys start going go 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 go. And uh, when we were actually watching the Indy 500, there was a yellow car. Uh, uh, Pagano, I think, was the guy that was that actually ended up winning the. He had the pole, and I think he ended up winning the race. But uh, Aaron was rooting for him, and Luke were rooting for him the entire race. Whenever he wasn't first, they were going, "Come on, yellow car! Come on, yellow car!" <laughs> so, they didn't. They didn't care who was in it. They just yeah, they saw the, the yellow. The only yellow car on the on the track, and that they that was the one that needed to win. Bless their hearts. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I can see the logic. So. <laughs> yeah, we had uh, the worst one that my kids watched was, uh, and you guys, neither one of you probably remember this one. I know you probably won't, Kyle, but it was uh, Crazy Town. Hmm. With mm, uh, No, with Spartacus. Or Spartacus. Spartacus. Oh, Spartacus. Yeah. Oh, my God. I wanted to put a gun oh, on every time that came on. <laughs> my daughter was crazy about that show now i mean i could handle spongebob because i mean who doesn't like spongebob but that, I mean, who can't get stoned to watch a little spongebob i get that oh yeah yeah i mean i i get that you're exactly right but that freaking crazy town or lazy late was it crazy town or lazy, lazy? No, lazy town that's right god that was just the hero hmm. god I'd rather take a good swift to the groin to w watch another half an episode of that stuff. <laughs> so speaking of getting swift kicked to the groin, you'll enjoy this, Todd. So I uh, oh took, took the boys to to Costco. You think getting kicked in the nuts is bad? Wait till you hear this. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I was taking I took the boys. Yeah. So I took the boys to Costco, and they were both uh, crazy. It was just just me with them and uh so they have the the double wide cart so i throw both of them in the cart well uh our boys are about the size of a four-year-old and uh their legs are a little bit longer than uh most of the people probably riding in those carts and uh, i got kicked in the balls about a half dozen times where i uh oh, saw stars you. during the uh <laughs> during right, that trip so so, Kyle, get ready for editing because I don't know how much of this can actually make it onto the regular show. <laughs> for sure. But when the boys were little, when Beth's always had to travel a lot. I, I spent a lot of time being a borderline. You know, well, I was a stay-at-home dad for a long time. But you know, I, was, I was the sole caretaker for the boys. And they were about a year and a half apart. 
and there was a point where Jack was in school and Alex, the younger wasn't. And, and Alex had, um, he had this accent and we don't know where it came from because they, they grew up in the exact same environment, but he had a slightly different accent and he loved Thomas the tank engine. Oh man. Oh, that was and his favorite character was Percy, but he didn't pronounce it as Percy. <laughs> Be ready to bleep because he pronounced yeah. it as. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going through the toy aisle and we're getting ready to pick his brother up. And Beth has been out of town for four or five days. It's Friday. It is a miracle of caffeine and the grace of God that I am functional at this point. And I mistakenly go down the toy, toy aisle at uh, Target while we're getting some stuff. And he sees a Percy toy that he really wants. Mm -hmm. He's very vocal about wanting Percy. Daddy, I want Percy. Percy. Daddy, I want Percy. But he and ain't saying I Percy. <laughs> no, he is not. And I'm a little short. I probably haven't showered in two days. And I pretty loudly just go, yeah, me too, kid. Me too. <laughs> and then I look up and see a little old woman and the manager of the store at the end of the aisle looking at me. I'm like, what are you? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's nice. What a fine parent you are. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, what do you, where do you think he came from? So, uh, our our boys they they have a hard time pronouncing blueberries, and uh, they call them bluebies, uh, Blue. which is pretty funny. Yeah, which is what they gave you when they kicked you in the crotch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, there was one I, I swear I saw red. It was it hurt pretty bad. You tasted blue. Yeah. I think at that time I probably would have uh, grabbed the front and just trailed them. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. 